Welcome back to Talking Geek, the podcast about all things geeky. I'm Hope we Dan. didn't confuse you with that crazy intro. <laughs> I'm Danny. I'm Heidi. So um, the, uh, the intro music was different because today we're talking all about The Stand. And that song, I learned, we're going to get into it, but we're talking about Stephen King's The Stand. And we read the book and watched the miniseries. I that read was, the book. That was on TV in 1994. And we read the Marvel Comics a- adaptation. We're going to talk about all of those. But that song, um, so I learned about from the in the back of the Marvel Comics. Adapta- the back matter, as you like to say. As is the official word. <laughs> you didn't know the word back matter. It's funny. It just made me laugh. It's a funny word. <laughs> but um, at the end of each issue, the comic series was 30 issues long. And at the back of each issue, they would usually have some sort of content, um, kind of like the equivalent of a DVD special features. And then after issue 30, they sort of had all of the individuals, editors, the writer, the artists, um, just talk a little bit about the process. They each got a page, page and a half or so. Um, and I believe it was the colorist who was talking about um, various songs that she was listening to while she was coloring uh, the stand. And she mentioned a song by the band Anthrax, which is a hard metal band. And I didn't really, I didn't really like that song. But she mentioned this other song um, called uh, called "The Stand" by The Alarm, and that's the song that I opened up with. It's a it's a good song. It's from I'd never heard of that band before. They really didn't do much. I looked into them, but they have that pretty cool song called "The Stand." Uh, hmm. Based on, I didn't know Anthrax had a song called "The Stand." Yeah, it's not very good. Either. I don't. I haven't listened to that much Anthrax in my life, but that song's not very good. But I went and um, because of her, she mm-hmm. she mentioned those, and she mentioned um, it was she was coloring, and she just the, the, somebody told her about the 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 song that we opened up with the yeah. uh, the uh, but she said that she was coloring and uh one of the final issues of the stand and she had was just listening to her own music or whatever and she heard the anthrax song mention um i i think one of the lines is the man with no face and oh, uh so she put two and, and two or, together or, or, or captain trips or something and um at, yeah i think it was specifically captain trips and she was said it was kind of eerie that when, is crazy to be coloring like for that particular comic and then ha- notice that lyric in a song you're listening to but that anthrax song is not very good but the alarm the stand is a, is a really good song it's on youtube and so mm-hmm. that's uh that's what we op- opened up with today so i wanted to have a start off with a little um this this episode's a long time coming because i had recommended sometime late last year before recording we tried to figure out like when it was it was sometime we think either. I think Octo- it was sometime October. October, November-ish. You had never read The Stand. We're, we're both big Stephen King fans. Actually, mm-hmm. I want to talk about that in a second. Um, or We're both big Stephen King fans. You had never read The Stand. I was sort of feeling like reading um, the original version. We'll get into the, the different version of the book and mm-hmm. who read what in a minute. But I was feeling re- like reading the original version, and you had never read anything. And so... We just decided, oh, it'd be cool to read the book, talk about it on the podcast. But um, we started reading it late last year, and it's a super long book, and we just didn't get 
and we started it and we plowed through. I've started and stopped and started and stopped. I, we, we plowed through a bunch of it uh, late last year and then we yeah. didn't get to it. Then we just sort of just fell off and just didn't, and took a break from the book for a while. And mm-hmm. then um, coronavirus hit and we had both already stopped by then, but it was yeah. sort of a... But then I wasn't super... I, I was kind of like reading a chapter here or a chapter there still, but then coronavirus hit and I was about a third of the way through and... I mean, the first book is all about the virus hitting and the impact and all of that stuff. And I was just like, eh, I don't, I don't want to be living lockdown and living this pandemic and then reading about a much, much, much worse pandemic. But nonetheless, you know, still mm-hmm. a little bit too close for me to, to read for enjoyable. You know, I like when you when I read, I picture the things that are going on in my head, and then I I escape to that world in some extent when I'm when I'm reading fiction. I didn't feel like I was escaping to, to a world. I was going to like a worse place. I don't always feel like I need to escape. I just fell off. Like well, I could read I, I dark stories that aren't that don't 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 make me feel good. Well, yeah, I hop to just like falling off and uh, life getting in the way and not getting uh, no, getting to it. That may be the case for you. I made an active choice. Yeah, I didn't. It just happened to be that we both stopped reading it for a while. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about we we both really like Stephen King, but. And we've talked about it a little bit here or there, but mm-hmm. I, I want us to talk about a little bit, both of us, a little bit about our histories with Stephen King being in, how we got introduced. Because I don't know if I know exactly like your first Stephen King or things mm-hmm. like that. So let's talk. I, I want to hear some of your the history of your Stephen King. So I had heard that Stephen King was a horror writer, a horror author. And when I was younger, I enjoyed R.L. Stein's Goosebump books. I think that was my first foray into, into horror. But I quickly outgrew them. Like, I, I tore through probably about 40 of those books. And I knew that I, I liked, like, suspense. I liked thrillers. I liked horror, that sort of thing. And so I graduated from R.L. Stein's, um, you know, like, young young fiction to the young adult fiction, which was, like, Christopher Pike, if you'd ever heard of him. And, I haven't. And, and, but it was young adult fiction. But is it, so. like, Goosebumps? Like, is it sort of spooky-ish? Oh, yeah, or? definitely. Oh, Chris, okay. Christopher Pike, Pike was still spooky. He still write horror, but aimed at, like, a teenage audience, for okay. example. So I started reading those kinds of books probably in, I don't know, late elementary school, maybe? I mean, I was reading them before I was in the age group that they were targeted for. So probably around then. And around that time is when I discovered Agatha Christie books. And so the way my library was set up, the the fiction books were in alphabetical order around the perimeter of the adult section, adult section of the library. But the A's, B's, and C's were like on a shelf, um, not in the perimeter. So one time when I was perusing the Agatha Christie books, behind me on the perimeter section of the wall was a Stephen King. And so, like, I happened to turn around and notice, like, oh, this is the Stephen King section. I've heard of him before. And I was just, like, looking through the titles. And I believe my first Stephen King book was Pet Cemetery. It was either that or Salem's Lot. I don't remember which, but I think it was Pet Cemetery. And I remember selecting it because it was one of the thinner books. It wasn't, like, you know, it wasn't It, which is a giant tome. It wasn't, you know, and I was at a younger age. So, you know, I went for one of the ones that seemed more manageable. But at that point, I was hooked. And, you know, I read as much as my library had, I read. I don't recall them even having the stand. Maybe they did. But, um, you know, there came a point where size didn't deter me. So, um, you know, I, I did read it, you know, later on and whatnot, too. But anyway. Yeah, you didn't read it. You, you read it after we got together. 
I remember. Yeah, I I had like started it, but um, I didn't get through it. And Which I'd... for it, for we just told a story before or mentioned it, but we 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 met in college, and mm-hmm. so um, it was quite a bit later after being introduced to him that you yeah, read. By then, it. like a long long book. I, I need about. to reread that book. I started it. I mean, that one's um, just as long. Or, um, as a stand, it's always hard to compare books because like depending on different printings and things like yeah. it's like page count, like we tried to find like what's the word count. And I think we actually found that it had a longer word count because yeah. it's tough to compare pages. It just like, no, just, text isn't the same, like hard covers versus soft covers and things. And so, um, but it's a huge book. I, I, I started it. I all I say that it is my favorite Stephen King. I need to back that claim up because I've only read that book in its entirety once. Mm-hmm. And I I restarted it a few. It's a few years ago now. Um, got a few hundred pages in, and life just got in the way. And I just abandoned it. I need, yeah. I need to get back I, to it. My my favorite Stephen King book has changed. Just you know, it used to be. Well, bag what is of, it now? Well, I don't know what it is right now. Honestly, it it <laughs> used to be Bag of Bones, but I've only read that twice, and it's been a while. So I've only read Bag of Bones once. I feel like I need to go back. You and introduced re-read me to it. it, or I think you had the paperback. I did, yeah. And so I read that, and it was really good. And the Green Mile is really good. That's another one that I've read twice, which is is. You know, a little bit outside of his horror realm, but yeah, still, I'm supernatural. Less, I'm less interested in his non-horror related uh, books. Although it's funny because mm-hmm. we're going to talk, talk about the stand. I don't think the stand is a horror book. Uh, it's not knowing that it is. I don't. No, I agree. It's not at all. Actually, no, it's, it's not. not. Uh, but so, like, I I would read Stephen King mostly in the summertime. Like, I would I would sit outside and read. But I didn't read him exclusively. Like, eventually in high school, the Harry Potter books I got hooked on, and I read. I read The Lord of the Rings twice in my adolescence and, you know, and that's all mixed in with schoolwork and, and other things too. So I I would read Stephen King here and there, but with other things. It wasn't the only thing I read, but I've always been a Stephen King fan ever since that first book, which yep. was probably, it was probably third or fourth grade. I remember doing a book report on um, The Eye of the Dragon and there's like some sexual stuff in there. And I'm pretty sure I was in fourth or fifth grade. I the Dragon is a fantasy book. Yes. Um, I was never interested in that one either, just because I guess it was a fantasy. I can, I, from where I'm sitting here, in it's our, a good story. Here in our recording room, we have a bookshelf, or, um, and I can see a, a lot of the Stephen Kings, and we have a bunch down. I need, need to read a bunch. We have Cujo down there. I haven't read. We have a numerous um, short story collection. Oh, Skeleton Cu- Crew. Cujo was early on in my reading too. I, re- Ske- I read Skeleton Cujo Crew, Night Shift. That's my Cujo paperback over there. <laughs> so. Getting to my history, I think I well if 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 you came to Stephen King about third or fourth grade, I was a little bit later. I was middle school. I, re- I remember mine was also uh, Pet Cemetery. I, b- I believe. Well, not I believe. I know it. I just got it from the school's library, and I don't remember not knowing who Stephen King was. But I don't remember th- like thinking. I I just remember um, hearing that Pet Cemetery was a, a scary movie, mm-hmm. and so. I wanted to check out the book and that that book is excellent like that, that book is definitely one of my top fives I, I i read that one two or three times and um i was pretty much hooked with stephen king then and i would get very you know just various books from the library and i remember i got yeah it was probably seventh grade that i first read now Pets. did you ever read anything by richard bachman i've never read any of his bachman books i i don't think we even have any I don't um, think we have any, but I I remember the running. I know that uh, the Running Man was is supposed to be pretty good. They made that new movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I don't know any of the other 
Are you you're, you're you're looking at at your tablet? Are you trying to find, what are you looking at? Well, I remember like um, I remember figuring out or learning that Richard Bachman was Stephen King's alias, and so I was trying to remember if I actually read anything written by King as Bachman. Now, now that um, we we but came, I didn't. We came at it or, thinner. You, he, you've read thinner. Haven't I haven't. You? I haven't. Okay. I, um, we actually. You and I started reading Stephen King after it was um, revealed that he was Richard Bachman, so it was never even like a secret. Although I don't think I've ever read any of his uh, the Bachman books. It's it, it's interesting for a big, I have not. It's it, interesting for a big name uh, author to have a pseudonym and uh, then to have it come out and that you, you have. Um, I agree. Various books written by by R- Richard Bachman. Now I I think they put those out like Stephen King. As as Richard Bachman, I think is how they put them out now, but so I I read Pet Cemetery, and I remember one of my oh The Shining. I actually think The Shining was my first book, Stephen King book. Now that I think about it, I oh, think I read God. The Shining I, first. I, Pet Cemetery and was mine. Pet Shining, Cemetery Shining and was Lot. Shining was shortly uh, thereafter, but the Stand was in there too. So I remember um, Stand had to be early high school for me just because I, I remember the apartment my, i was reading it in and my, uh, the apartment my, my mom had at the time my parents were had just been splitting up and um so stephen king was one of the or um the stand was one of those early books that i had read and i so i, I read the uh unabridged version which is basically the main the main version uh mm-hmm. now and so that was Probably and 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 then it, you know then um, cascaded into The Shining and it and um, so Stephen King's writing is is he he's just one of those consistent writers so consistent that I feel like I can't keep up. Yeah, he I, puts out a couple I, of novels a I, year. I, I wish he would, I wish I kind of wish he would put out like a novel like every five years like keep people waiting kind of because he has so much that like it kind of just like you can't keep up. Like I would have liked to have. Like if he if he put out a book probably every five years I'd probably read every single book that he's had out since I started reading Stephen King. Yeah, but there's just too much. I feel like he puts out so much stuff now that like, well I can't speak to it, but it I I have the sense that like the quality goes down a little bit when he puts out so much. I don't know, or maybe I I just feel I like think he, the topics vary. I feel more, like he isn't so... the same author, like or he doesn't have the same prominence that he did back in the like when back in, like when people still th- when people yeah. think about him they still I feel like they still think about his big works from the seventies and eighties. Well, when was the last time that a movie was made from a Stephen King book that was recent? They're all, they're all his it, uh, well, recent parts books, one and two recent books. Think about it. What recent books has he written that have now become movies other than, um, the, I think it's, um, the TV series that's out now on, um, the, Bill Hodgins trilogy. It's a Mr. Mercedes. It's based on. Other than that, oh, you know what? Actually, I take that back. There was the movie that just came out last year that we haven't seen yet, or that you saw and I haven't seen. Which one? Um, it's got uh you and McGregor in it. What's which one? I, I can't. The the name is escaping me. Oh, Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep. Yeah, yeah. and that so one. So I guess that is a newer book that has a newer movie. Yeah, I think that's twenty. Uh, what is that like? Two thousand twelve or something? But yeah. I guess my point was a lot of his older stuff has more movie. Like if you look at the ratio of movies to to the year the content was made, it, most of the movies that come out are on books that he wrote back in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, not so true. much now. That's true. But I, I mean, 
we have a lot of the stand to talk about. I think we could do an entire episode about King or more about King because I think there's, well, there's a lot probably more to not, talk about. Unless they start like getting into like talking about each individual book or whatever. But so I just wanted to give a little bit of our like how we even like came to Stephen King or early Stephen King memories. Um, I try to read about a Stephen King book a year, so I I, I don't keep up with him 100 percent either. But generally, there's something that he releases that interests me every year. Yeah. You know, maybe not all of what he releases, but mm-hmm. there's usually something that I'm like, oh, I want to read that. Like The Institute, for example. We we just listened to that audiobook. Yeah. From this year. Yeah. That one was, it was decent. It was not as good as I was hoping it was going to be. I, I don't think, but uh, we, we can get into this. Again, Institute. I think he's diverged from true horror and more into thriller. Yeah. And yeah, I, that's I, true. I think that's part of it. Well, no, I, I, I'm not going to say that. Um, just because, I mean, The Stand isn't a horror movie. It's true. It's not a thriller. It's actually, we'll, we'll get into that. I, so the next thing I had on my list that I want to talk about was my history with The Stand. But I already talked a little bit about yeah. reading that. And I, I have none. <laughs> I read the, um, well, I do a little bit. So I, I read, I first read The Stand and it's in the hardcover form. The same hardcover, not the, not, not the actual, not, not the same actual, but the same version of the mm-hmm. hardcover that we have upstairs, the first edition of the unabridged uh, copy. Yeah. I got that for you as a, a special gift one year. I, I know. It's it's nice, but it's big. And you've never read it. Well, it's... I, <laughs> it's, I, it's memories. I it's, just like having it. It's um, a keepsake, yeah. I just like having it. Um, and that's the version that my library had. And so it was probably like 98, 99 that I checked that out from the from the library and i remember uh just being in, intrigued by it because because of its length mm-hmm. and i had i knew a little bit about it because my dad had i remember my dad actually watching the tv miniseries and i watched a little bit because i can remember mm-hmm. scenes here or there from the 1994 miniseries so i had a little bit of in, um intrigue not, intrigue a little bit of knowledge i wouldn't say really any, anything about the plot I remember i actually can remember uh remember flag turning into the demon head oh yeah and uh we'll we'll get into some more stuff about the tv miniseries in a little while but so check that out and then um had that copy and then i read the i gotta hunker in to read the book again and the summer after sophomore or the summer after freshman year of college was back home and li- living by myself, but at my childhood home, and I bought a paperback version because I never. It was my second time reading it, but I didn't actually have a copy, and so I bought the paperback version. And you didn't is, patronize the library. It's the same. Shame on you. It's the same uh, paperback version that you just read, uh, and so read that that summer, and then I hadn't read it since, and so um, so that was what two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Would have been the yeah the summer after freshman year of college two thousand four, and so then just last year twenty nineteen I was getting I got a feeling like, like like I wanted to read it again but I was I had a copy of the abridged version actually I'll I'll call it the original version um, because that's what came out first yeah yeah, yeah well well I want to get into the history of the publication of this book in a second but um, I had had. I was in the military during college, uh, the reserves, Air, Air Force reserves, uh, mostly to get money during to support me during college. The GI, GI Bill, the GI Bill uh, really helps out. Um, and I had a buddy who was in a lot of geeky things that I was. He was older than me, so he was about ten years older than I was, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit more. 
and I haven't seen him since I got out in 2010 or, or whatever, but he, I, we were just talking Stephen King or whatever, and he said that he had the original cop version, and if I wanted to borrow it, and I, and I had never read it, and so I borrowed it, but then I got out of the military and just never saw him again, so I never got his copy back. So I had had the copy of the original version of The Stand that mm-hmm. came out in 1978, and that version is, is shorter and I, so that's why I wanted to read. Well, I wanted to read that it's version significantly shorter. So let's get into that. Uh, the, so the book came out in 1978, and the story goes. You can find some of this on Wikipedia and whatnot. And I think he even writes about it in the forward to the longer version to some extent. That yeah. his the publishers just said it was just too long, and that nobody's they, gonna read a hardcover of that. And they weren't willing to publish it in two volumes or anything. It was just gonna be one book. And so it was the original manuscript was like twelve hundred pages or or whatever, and they needed to cut down about uh, about a third of that. And either he could do it himself, or they would have editors go and do it. Well, he didn't want mm-hmm. editors to do it, so he figured he would just go in and, and chop it up himself. And so the version that came out in, in nineteen seventy eight was uh, about eight hundred and twenty or so pages. And so then that's the original, which and, is the one and, you read, and that's the version that was out for twelve years until. 1990 when you know by this point he has the clout mm-hmm. and uh, to get the original unabridged version put out and that's pretty well much and the- there's probably a fan demand for it too i'm, I'm sure there were, they knew for sure there'd be a market i don't for know how it. much we yeah I, I don't know how much fan demand there was there would the, there would be a market for it but i actually that's something i don't know i mean if, if fans people, knew that it had been chopped that's it. what i'm gonna say is i don't know if fans knew that yeah i don't um know. Which that'd be pretty cool if one of your favorite books, or you know, or a book you like, it's like a director's cut, you know. Let's, I mean, yeah, it's... yeah, and you don't get that, in, or at least I'm not as familiar with it. Like I can only, like I can't really think of any other like examples and books mm-hmm. off the top of my head. Can, can that came you? out longer? Yeah, that came out with like a second re, like, like like revised version that. No, I can't. That doesn't mean they don't exist, but oh, they probably I, I can't yeah, I'm sure any. they exist, but I can't think of any either, and so. When 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 we were introduced to reading, like like you go to a bookstore, yeah, the book and, is the book. No, no, well, no, but you go to a bookstore, and the only version you're gonna find is the unabridged. Like you can't, like you can go on eBay and find original printings. Yeah, I it, it'd be interesting. I feel like they should actually. It's not uh, entirely uncommon to find abridged versions of audiobooks, though, like because it's it's very common when you if you get an audiobook for it to say like the unabridged version. Or, but those this are is abridged. But like, those are. I mean, I guess I I don't know the history of abridging if it's like the authors doing it or if it's like you know the audio book people are yeah chopping that up i don't know the history of that but now that we're talking about it i feel like whoever like uh has the rights to the standard his his public or you know simon and schuster whoever it is Mm -hmm. they can make money by with it and by i feel like now putting out purposely abridging and abridging well no purposely putting out the original stand to like be alongside like um to sit alongside the Mm -hmm. unabridged because it's it's really different, and you can't find it anymore. I, I just happen to have this copy. I mean, you can find it on, on eBay, but but it's uh, not it's not what's in print. Yeah, it's not the imprint. You go the to mass market. It media. wouldn't be easy to find. Like I don't think you can go on Amazon and just buy, let, me, let me buy Stephen King's original stand. You can't just do that. You got to find an, an, an original copy of it. And um, what's so the other interesting thing? So I it was put out in 1978 originally but it was actually re- reprinted in 1980 and it was still the original version not longer or anything but it had a couple of changes in there and i, I want to talk to you about those yeah because so 
when the book was, uh, like you're familiar with like the, we'll we'll get into some plot in a little bit, but Harold's Harold's thumbprint, Harold Lauder's thumbprint plays a plays a pretty big role. He, um, yes. the character Harold Lauder, he has a chocolate thumbprint that he gets on a um, a journal that becomes a bigger deal. Yeah, it, it lends in the a clue later to part his of the behavior. book. And when it was originally published, it was. Um, it was shoot. Remind me, what was the candy bar in your version of the book? Chocolate payday. Oh yeah, payday. It was paydays, and so but they were chocolate payday. But they specific. wrote they and so paydays people, don't come in. Chocolate. People wrote in and said that, well, that's a problem because paydays are they're peanut covered or at um yeah. right. That's why yeah, I don't. They're, they're peanuts peanut on the caramel. outside. Peanuts on the outside held together by caramel. And I don't really like they're too much peanuts for me. I don't. But. Uh, pe- people wrote in and said that they, hey, this is a problem. Harold, like, there's this chocolate uh, fingerprint, and s- paydays aren't, you wouldn't get that from from paydays. And so one of the changes in 1980 was um, was changing the paydays to Milky Way. And so in the version that I read, the version that I read mm-hmm. the um, is actually the 1980 version. So I was reading all about Milky Way in, in my version. Chocolate payday for me. Which... Milky Ways are way better than paydays. Um, <laughs> you just said you'd never had a payday. If you like nuts and caramel, well, no, I've, for I've, you. I've had them, but I don't eat them. Yeah, I I, I avoid them because like it's a lot. I, of I, I need some chocolate with my peanuts and caramel. I need well, apparently, chocolate. so did Harold Lauder. So you know, <laughs> well, because it's a big plot point. It's 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 interesting that he would change that just because. I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, he, he changed some of the the pop culture references too because we we did a page to page comparison. Well, hold for on, that. I'll I'll get to that in a second. Um, in the so in the 1980s version, I'm I'm blanking on. There was a couple of other minor things. The, one of the bigger things was actually changing the chocolate mm-hmm. uh, or, or the payday to a Milky Way. And then in the 1990s version, adding it back, the 1990s, um, the abridged, it was a or the unabridged, it was unabridged, but it also was modified a little bit. So actually, let me back up. The 1980 version, every public, every time you put the book out, he set the book a little bit fur- further in the future. The 1978 yeah, version aligned with the with the present day. Of the no, no, no. Who are reading it. it was always in the future. The 1978 book, I believe, was set in like the early 80s, mm-hmm. and then the 1980 version of the book was set a little bit later. And I, I don't know if he changed any of the pop culture references in that 1980s. I think he did. And then in the 1990s, um, unabridged, he changed um, quite a few of the cultural references in the book. Um, just to reflect, and so the book was set a little bit later um, in 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 the timeline. So the years are different. Um, actually, while I talk a little bit, can you look at these two books? And because the books always open with like um, like each, because there's the book is divided into three separate books, mm-hmm. and they and and they give the years in there. And um, the 1980 or the the 90s unabridged changed a bunch of things it added there's references to freddy krueger in there um ninja turtles things mm-hmm. that don't come out things that weren't out at the original time and so it's just interesting what are your what are your thoughts on that did did he need to do that part no i don't i don't think you do i think you know for any author who writes a book if they're making a pop culture reference you hope to pick something that stands the test of time so that in the future people who read it understand the analogy 
for whatever it is that you're using it for. But no, I I don't personally think that updating the years really needs to happen because the story is the same. It doesn't change the nature of the plot or anything. It's just, I agree. You know, changing changing a reference from talking about a Batman comic to a Superman comic or you know, changing a reference to, to talk about Ninja Turtles versus talking about I forgot Howard what, the Duck. Howard the Duck. Yeah, I mean, okay, maybe the 2000s, the people reading it in the 90s won't know who Howard the Duck is. Who cares? They can figure out it's in it, it's italics, it's a comic book. Like, Yeah, I kind of, I agree. Um, I'm, I mean, it makes each, it makes each version of the book even that much more distinct. I mean, if, if the three, if the 300 pages weren't already enough, if the added 300 pages weren't already enough, the, uh, updated pop culture references makes it, makes it distinct. Right. Um, plus I think you always take the chance when you're updating that you could miss a reference. That's true. That's where you hope, you know, somebody of Stephen King's caliber, you probably have, um, you probably have. Uh, you know, assistant editors and things that handle yeah. to handle that so, type of stuff. So, so the original version, the copy that you have here, was published in. Uh, of course, I don't have that page. Eighty. Up. It was published in eighty, and it takes place in June to July of nineteen eighty-five. It's the first book, is when it starts. The unabridged version, or what they so, call, so it's five years in the future. They call the complete and uncut edition. That's that's the version I read. Um, this one was actually published in ninety, and it took place in ninety. So it was okay, not so set so, in the so it actually wasn't set in the future. Interesting. No. So the that makes the the original uh, printings of the book were actually set a little bit in the future. That's interesting. It makes it seem like something that's going to happen in the um, yeah, not too distant future, not too distant something future. apocalyptic. What do you think about that? What do you think about a book coming out that's like? It, t- it tells me that the year the book is taking place for the characters is kind of irrelevant to the Should current set, day. Do you think it, um, so do you think it doesn't change like um, anything in terms of at the time, if you're in 1990, or if you're reading the book in 1980 and it's set in 85, does that do anything mentally um, in terms? And then also if you're reading it in 90 and it's set in 90 and not 95, is there any difference I, there? I think it's so close five years that for me i don't think it would make a difference if it was i'm reading it in 80 and it's taking place in 2020 that to me says okay they're trying for something futuristic five years to me is it's still set in my times in my timeline and just like with 90 i mean you you've you've only got a year window to get to that book for it to be relevant otherwise it's in the past anyway <laughs> so so can you give uh me and and if you're listening to this i would hope you probably are familiar with the stand or else you're gonna be bored out of your mind but could you get could you give like a one paragraph uh this is on the fly i didn't ask you to prepare anything but can you give me like a one paragraph description of the stand i could read the back of the book to you no it's kidding <laughs> the stand is the story of um a group of survivors following a tragic um flu that kills 99.9 percent of the population something like that sort of like the so, inverse of the flu we have now yeah. where it, it kills <laughs> like a 99 point, or it, we have a lime the opposite right <laughs> so so this is a tale of the survivors coming together against evil that arises after this flu wipes out the majority of people on earth and it's um so it's 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 this this flu happens which reduces the amount of people in the world greatly but that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is is their stand against evil that and, that ensues afterward. 
and you basically have two camps of people and, and they're drawn it's, towards two different Yeah, it's it's the battle of good it's it's a battle of good versus evil. Yes, and um And and evil I I'd say it it um there are many shades of evil and I think the quote unquote evil camp is redeemable. I think there's redemption in some of the evil camp that you know what what the people who end up on the evil side are not necessarily evil. They might just have a dark side or they might yeah. truly, really be evil. Like I it's, agree. It's like everybody, personally, I'm an optimist anyway, but you know, everybody's got some good in them. And I, I think you see that in the tale of the evil side. Yeah. I mean, ex- with, with the exception of the, um, the, the high leadership, you know, under, um, Randall flag, who is the, the mm-hmm. quote unquote, the, the evil in the story. Uh, everybody, all the posts, every, every, everybody who's left alive and spared by the virus that's called uh, the flu-like virus that's called Captain Trips in the book, they get visions and they're either sort of drawn towards th- this uh, seemingly um, drawn towards the old woman, God, the um, godlike uh, person, Mother Abigail. Mm-hmm. She sort of represents the light side, or Randall Flagg, who represents the dark side, and um, the force is in him. Randall Flagg is interesting because I believe The Stand is the only book that I've read with him in it, but you haven't. You've read two books with him in it. Yeah, I have. Um, I, you already mentioned it. Eye of the Dragon. I've read Eye of the Dragon. Yep, and Flag is, Flagg Flagg is in that. in quite a, few, a number of Stephen King's books. I know that he plays a decent role and he's in, in the, Gunslinger. the Dark Tower series. Yeah, I've, I've read about the first third of The Gunslinger. I just didn't get into it. I was also younger. I want to read that book. We we have it, and it's a, it's a, it's small. It's not as small as of Mice and Men, which you just read, but it's a little bit. I think it's under a hundred and thirty pages. Yeah, I I didn't get real far into it, and I think it's because it, it's one of those stories that you start off and you start off knowing nothing right at the beginning. You're just kind of dropped in, and and it just well, didn't catch me. But this yeah. was. I think I started reading it um, early, early on. So. And I might change my mind now. So flag, flag this this flag individual. I can really only speak about him from the stand. But my understanding is that he's sort of just this pervasive evil figure that's throughout throughout a lot of his mm-hmm. um, his uh, I shouldn't say a lot of but a number of his stories. Um, it hasn't been confirmed, or Stephen King's never confirmed it. But they've all he's there's also uh, people who think that in. Uh, Children of the Corn, which I have not read. I've only I haven't either. I've seen the movie. I've many seen the movie times. too. I keep referencing all these stories I haven't read. We have the short stories book that Children of the Corn is in. I need to read it. But there's the the one who walks behind the rose, who sort of is like the the sort of like dark entity that the kids yeah. the kids worship. And there's those who think that that is Randall Flagg, and you can kind of see that with yeah, all the corn imagery and things. That. And so yeah, the, there's, um, there's corn imagery and in the one behind the, the rose. Yeah. And so you can kind of think that Flag is. Um, the one influencing things in Children of the Corn, too. So I wanted to talk about getting into some characters. Tell me a little bit about Stu, Stu. And, and your thoughts. So our main characters, we have the main characters that I wanted to talk about. And I mean, there's a bunch of side characters, too. There's tons. Yeah. But the ones that I wanted to just talk about, what it, the characters you liked and didn't like. But mm-hmm. I, I, I wrote down in my notes, and you, we can talk about others if you want to. But I wrote down Stu, Franny, Larry, Underwood, so actually, I should give last names. So Stu, Stu Redmond, Franny Goldsmith, Larry Underwood, Nick Andros, Lloyd Hen, Hen, Henreed, Trash Can Man, uh, Randall Flag, Mother Abigail. Good cast characters there. <laughs> so Very you, good. So so tell me who who'd you like? Because the book starts off 
later on, all the characters, a lot of the characters converge. But like early on, you'd read like a chapter of one character, chapter of another yeah. character. Are there certain chapters where you're like, come on, I'm tired of this character? Like, like, or or not? Let me. No, I, I. Well, there's a lengthy section in the in book two about Mother Abigail. That's I think it's a chapter that's about 75 pages long, and I think it's about 20 in your version. That one dragged on for me. But otherwise, no, I I was intrigued by all the characters because I just wanted to kind of understand, you know, in the beginning how the virus is going to hit them and impact them, and later on just what their fate would be. So I, I enjoyed reading about all of the different characters. Initially, I wasn't really drawn to Stu Redman. Towards the end of the book, you get much more, and I think you care for him, end up caring for him more. But initially, I was just like, yeah, he's... He's this this old time little little small town guy who sacrificed his his own career and and you know possibilities for his younger brother and you know Stu's just kind of this small town nothing kind of a guy could it be farther from the truth he's actually quite a, quite a great character but I didn't really I, w- I didn't gravitate towards him I was very much intrigued about Franny and her character with her being pregnant and curious to know like how that would end up. And what her fate would be. I really liked Larry Underwood, as slimebally as he was, and just all the trouble he was in, because I wanted to see if his arc would would change and now, how he would change. Now I have a question for you because I feel like I already knew this. Like I feel like again from the the snippets that my dad had from seeing like snippets of the miniseries. Like I yeah. I remember even one of the first time I read this book, I feel like I knew Larry was not a bad guy. But did you think that? Did you have a sense that like where things were going or like we're following these guys are probably going to be sort of with the bad camp and these aren't like, did you think that Larry was, I could, cause I feel like Stu, we knew was going to be part of the good mm-hmm. crew. I don't know. But Larry. No, I never thought Larry would end up in the bad crew. And it's interesting because in, in the back matter of the comic book version, the author talks about how in his mind, Larry could go either way. And I never thought that. And I, I think it's because of his relationship with his mother the way he feels so bad when she gets sick and he legitimately like understands when she tells him that he's a taker and he wants to change and he feels like he should change. He just doesn't know how to go about doing it. And there's nothing that's actively forcing him to grow up. And then the virus hits or captain trips and then he has to grow up. But without that, he doesn't have a reason to grow up. So no, I, I never once thought, Oh, Larry's going to be a bad guy or Larry might, might teeter on the edge of, of going evil. Now, Harold, Harold Lauder, on the other hand, I thought he was possibly going to go evil from the get-go, and it wasn't until they were in Boulder, the, in the Boulder Free Zone, when he starts working, um, when Harold starts working, and it, it, I thought maybe he's going to turn it around, maybe he's going to be like, F you, Nadine Cross, and <laughs> and decide to, to go good, but I was like, we wouldn't spend this much time with him for him to not, like, Har- Harold's got to be, uh, got to go evil, like... Yeah, I actually, um, I actually just wrote wrote Harold down because he was one that I didn't you write down. Didn't have on, him on the list. Didn't have him on the list, and he's kind, a, of, kind of important. He's 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 a big character. Um, so what about so you, so what about Franny? So, like I said, I, I really like Franny. She was one of my of, favorites. Actually, what I would like actually is why not actually I'll pass but you the I th- list. I think if I had to pick a favorite character, it it would be Nick. I really liked Nick. Um, you know, I felt for him as kind of this vagabond, this guy who never really had a had a way, had his had a family. He was constantly just a drifter from here to there, and he had to learn to communicate. And he didn't happen; it didn't happen for him until he was kind of at this older age. But he was quick as a whip, 
super smart, very strategic. Um, the way that he handled the sheriff scene, you know, that section of the book where these people who beat the shit out of him are in jail and now the the sheriff is dead and the sheriff's wife is dead and he could have just gotten the hell out of there but he didn't he stayed back and he took care of those guys and you know let let one of them free and took care of the other ones until they were dead like the sense of responsibility in him was just crazy and then he you know meets up with tom and (laughs) m-o-o-n i remember throughout like our marriage like the last like now i can't do that anymore because you know what it's from but like every now and then and you, you might not even remember him because at, at the time, like, I would never explain what it was. But you also wouldn't ask. You're just like, oh, Danny's being weird. But I would say, like, M-M-O-O-N, that spells whatever. And you wouldn't even, like, ask. You wouldn't ask about it just because it was probably, I was like, like, that's super It was probably weird. just like, well, what up? Well, you, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't even remember, like, them. But every, every now and then, I'd just be like, and I'd ch- chuckle to myself, like, Tom. Um, Your own little inside joke. Yeah, in my own head. But, <laughs> well, and what's funny about Nick is I also, is, is one thing I had to keep reminding myself throughout the book because you know when you're reading a book you have these you have images in your mind of how things of how people look yeah. or like your own mental image of them i had to keep reminding myself um that nick had like busted teeth throughout this whole thing yeah not through the whole thing although they chose not to do that in the tv miniseries yeah um keep it simple played he was played by rob Lowe, um actually one of the bigger names in the miniseries um but yeah he in yeah. i don't remember if it's in the fight when he uh encounters the um the guys on the road the very first encounter with them with 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 ray Boo. yeah it is or it's, if it's later in the it's, it's in the first encounter they break his teeth and then the second encounter they they break his eye and he or the the second encounter mm-hmm. guy takes a thumb to his eye and he ends up in an eye patch and i feel again like, that's not in the TV i feel like series. i series um i feel like in my mental image of like reading the book when i'm picturing i was like always forgetting that i'm that he had like an eye patch and like busted teeth. You always have to like remember yeah. that. Apparently, he was actually just a pirate. Yeah, like uh, um, I don't know. It's just one thing. Like you have to like remember like through the whole book. Oh, oh yeah, he's like yep. He has a busted face the whole well, time. Well, and Mother Abigail wanted him to be like he was to be their leader until the whole Harold Lauder crap went down. So anyway, yeah, Nick Nick was definitely my favorite. Lloyd is interesting to me because he's Flag's right hand man and he's loyal to Flag because Flag's he'd be dead if not for Flag, but I I think there's a soft streak in Lloyd too. I mean he wasn't, and in the section where Lloyd actually originally gets arrested, he wasn't the the main guy. He was following like sure Lloyd is definitely guilty of making some really bad yeah. Dec- well he was like, he's guilty of making some really bad decisions. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but but I think. There was redemption in Lloyd, so I didn't. I didn't mind him as a character. I, I think he's. He, yes, he was bad. He was a bad guy, but he wasn't the baddest of the bad guys. Um, Flag is. Flag, I think, is interesting because he's a fallible villain. Like there are there are decisions and things that slip out of his slip out of his grip at the end that enable the the good side to win. That you know, I wonder. Like, was that because? good is just prevailing over evil is that because randall's not as good of a lead as he as he thinks he is as a leader like why did things kind of um i think he had a way of putting it as they get like shaky or they get the edges get blurry or something like that mm-hmm. there's there's a way it's described in the book but flag yeah flag is just evil and we'll talk about the portrayal of of the evilness and when we talk about the the tv series mother abigail i i don't see her as a god figure 
she's portrayed as like their god and they kind of worship but to me she's like a supernatural she's she she has some supernatural skills and she brings everybody together but i i never really personally saw her as like god no 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 i didn't either and i i did mention that i just wanted to like and she didn't want them to worship her like a god either like no, she but, she was very much like god exists and it is not me yes exactly but i feel like she, um i actually want to talk about that when i, I when we talk about the themes of the book is is this is a very religious book it's actually crazy religious and and um and you read about wikipedia and a lot of people like talk not about not like in your face way though i mean it it's, kind of is um, I, I think it, especially in the mother Abigail character, she is very much, um, God has an influence. I mean, at the end, yeah. Nick like says, I like, mean, Nick I don't, says he doesn't believe in it. And, 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 and she says, well, that's okay. He believes in you. I mean, that's like yeah. stuff that's like right out well, of like very, church. very strong faith. Yeah. And I mean, I think this, um, but I, I, we'll get into that in a moment cause I want to talk about some, I want to get your thought on some themes. Um, mm-hmm. but do you have anything else to add about the characters? Um, no, I mean, characters we didn't Nad- Nadine Cross is probably the only other one that we, we didn't mention here as, well, as a character, a I mean, but Tom I mean, she's and... a, she's kind of a, a bigger character too. Cause I mean, I think she contributes well, to, well, that's what I would ask edges blurring. So that's but... what I want to get into. Actually. I mean, I guess this now is a good time. Um, I didn't talk about the characters that much. Probably my, I really liked Lloyd. Um, I don't think he would, could be really redeemed. I think he was bad at heart, but I think he just was, uh, uh, he had he had a soft streak, but I feel like he was a bad guy at heart, but just not as overtly not as bad. Well, what am I trying to say? That he could be more rational. I think like he mm-hmm. would think things through. Like he wasn't as hot headed. Do you think he would and... feel guilty for the things that he did? But he would still choose to do them. No. Okay. Do you? Yeah, I mean he he agonized over eating his soulmate, like the the leg of the guy next door to him, and he. he I know I took that as more of a grotesque the, the way that uh, you would could be, yeah. the way that I mean I guess like I see your point I I, I didn't well, think about it that way but he wasn't I, agonizing over killing so anybody I took it as like the same as like if you had to drink your pee yeah or, you know um and could it's be, just something people be. don't do but that was my thought just the ick but, factor yeah, yeah I could see that so I want to get into like what do you. Th- when you think of the like, when, when when you think of it, like sort of the um the like themes of it are overcoming like the greatest evil that there is, and yeah. um being able to do it multiple like you know as children and your children like and your worst adults. fears and overcoming those and then um doing that again as adults like um mm-hmm. um there's no god in that the, though that's the sh- that's the difference the shining um is sort of uh overcoming like isolation and mental breakdown mm-hmm. and things um kind of very simple things i mean there's like there's a lot more going on in the shining but like right the the stand like uh stephen king has said that he sort of wanted to write a lord of the rings when he set out to do the stand like he was trying to do a token-esque mm-hmm. thing with with this novel like what do you think are the is some of the themes of the stand that you would take away i mean i, I think my my main takeaway is the triumph of good versus evil i think it's also about people and how that's what i want to ask you just about. despite like despite the odds people will co- will find a way to come together and that society will prevail people will find a way people are adaptable but i think that the book undercut if i'm not sh- saying that i don't agree with you but the book undercuts that because you have multiple characters specifically glenn bateman one of the side characters who's who's like rails against um Er, and, and often says that like 
when society comes, it's it's society coming together that like causes the problems. Well, yeah, and and and. So do you think like the end of that is like when they're talking about how the Boulder Free Zone um, rallied to have their nominated police officers have guns, and they're like, well, that's the end of this. Like, it's. Do you think the book is um, is coming down either way? I mean, maybe it's neither. But do you think it's coming down on like it's good for society to come together or um, I think like, I think, have, like, I, 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 I think, think Stu says at the, towards like the end, like maybe it's best if we stay af- as, f- up, as far apart as we can for a while. I think it's somewhere in between. I, I think it's recognizing that humans are social beings and they need some interaction with each other and that good things come out of it because you can get, when there's cooperation, you do get things like your electricity and you get people can have skilled trades and you know, you can do more with society as a group than you can as individuals if you think about clearing out the, the Boulder Free Zone and, and all the things they did. But there's limits to that when it gets to be too much, too quick, too soon. Then that's where it's easier for crime to set in, where people can be um, not as accountable for contributing to the society as a whole because each individual contribution is much smaller than it is you know, in a larger community. Each person's contributing much, maybe a per- perceived to be contributing less to make the society run as it is in like a smaller community. So I, I think it's trying to kind of toe the line on both camps to say, Hey, people need to get together, but there's a limit to when it's good. If that makes sense. That That's kind of what I see. Sort of it. reminds me actually of the walking dead towards the end when, um, yeah. Spoilers for the walking dead where the, Rick, and, the Rick and his society. company have a certain size of their community and then they find it's the other community, which I'm forgetting the name, but like it's much larger. But then I think there's it's just called the community. There's, there's, <laughs> I, I I don't remember, but where it's it's maybe too large and there's too too many problems there. But right, um, yeah. Well, because there's a there's a class system that then came out of it. Like if you remember yeah. the Boulder Free Zone early on, there's no class system. Everybody's equal. Every, it, it's just you know everybody contributes and has their their skills and their things that they're doing. But then when it gets to be eight ten thousand people, now you're you're going to have people who are perceiving a difference between the doctor and a difference between the the skilled trade or you know there's there's going to be inequalities that result that you don't have in the smaller societies as much so i want to go back to what you said about um good versus evil and good triumphing over evil and 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 the stand in this book the quote-unquote stand because as much as i love i i actually um I mean, the bulk of the book is following the uh, mm-hmm. the quote unquote good guys in the story. Um, it's not really until the la- the last third of the book. I mean, right. we we follow them a bunch in the Captain Trips, the first book of this, um, and then you follow the the bad guys, Flags um, crew, mm-hmm. a bunch in the last third. But the middle the middle um, third is pretty much the formation of of in in, in Boulder and everything. And so that's who we follow and that's who we fall in love with as characters and who we want to see. Like there's there's criticism I was reading and um just online like browsing and people saying like oh the like the Boulder Free stuff is is uh middling and even Stephen King has said that like he wasn't sure what to do and that it moves it, slowly. And I that agree. it wasn't until like he the story he sort of had writer's block for a little while and then he, then and then he come, came up with the uh, bomb story and then yeah. then he got cooking again in the last the last third of the book um but is it the story of good triumphing over evil or is it the story of evil will take out itself because what do what do the good guys actually accomplish in this story yeah i mean they they go there to quote unquote make their stand but really but it depends on what what the domino effect is so 
the two good guys who are left at the end to make their stand eventually there are people in the crowd who start to realize that what's going to happen to them with them being torn into in half basically is wrong like somebody yells out against it and a few other people join in and there's kind of not a huge uproar it's not like a, a mob or anything but there's people who start to question randall flag and then all of a sudden in comes trash can man but it's 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 the the hand of god that sets off the the bomb but if you if you look at how the the story goes on when when the first person kind of calls out like hey maybe we shouldn't be doing this that's when there's this like electric charge appears or like randall flag goes to make this electric charge and then it like takes out this guy and then all of a sudden the the hand of god appears and then boom everything's blown up like i think they were the catalyst for all of this to happen do you think that um so mother abigail and again i actually was quite shocked not shocked but like um surprised just because i didn't have this memory of just how religious this book is mother abigail sets them out um the uh four the four that go out to make the stand Mm -hmm. um at the end of the book the quote-unquote stand uh god sends them out and gives you know basically speaking through her and i mean not literally but he's told mother abigail through through his means she's channeling him somehow um what needs to happen um do you think that what happened would have happened if they didn't go or was it like was god requiring um uh sacrifices i didn't see it as a sacrifice as much as the the people who are on the evil side need to see the the evil of their ways before we before but then, we so then, then they're punished. All out anyway. I find that interesting because yeah, no, I, I don't. I didn't see it as a punishment. I just see that saw it as like this is the only solution. But we want them to be absolved of their crimes <laughs> before before they're killed or something. I I didn't. I don't see- know. I guess that in in my mind that that bomb going off was the ultimate solution and the only solution. But perhaps it couldn't have happened without the reckoning first. And so the What's- stand is the the reckoning. Yeah, I don't know. I struggle with the. I, I as much as I think Stephen King's a great writer, I do think he struggles with endings. Or, and I don't know, I... Yeah, frankly, it's not my favorite way to... I mean, I like the, it doesn't actually end. There's a whole, like, there's a very lengthy epilogue after that, but well, in my, that's the end of the Battle of Good In my Siegel. head, that part, I was like, come on, this is... Uh, even in the, like, the, the, like, the abridged version... It's of, long. Because, like, the climax of the book happens. I mean, that that is the climax of the book. Then you follow a lengthy, like, um, Stu, Stu Redman and Tom Cullen um, yeah, side character. Their back. Making their way back. And some of it was, I mean, it was interesting. It was still, even even not the best Stephen King is still pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. But that part of the book definitely wasn't my favorite. I mean, because you feel like the climax has already happened in my Yeah, in my and mind. I'm like, come on, just get him home already. But I, I struggle with, like, understanding. I mean, part of it, too, is it's, like, it's just not clear-cut. It does give you um, – it's yeah. not spelled out for you, which makes it kind of interesting, I get. But I'm like, did the bad guys actually accomplish anything? Would everything have played out exactly the same if they didn't go, um, if they had defied? Or was it, like – how much inter, um, intervention was there or um, how much, because I th- think there's no doubt about it that yeah, in mean, this it, world, God exists and he is. It's hard to know because how much is predetermined? Like if those guys weren't there, there wouldn't have been this huge crowd gathered in the middle of the, in in the middle of the, the town. I mean, maybe, does, maybe if there weren't all these people gathered in the middle of the town, maybe trash can man wouldn't have come barreling in into the center of town. Maybe he would have stopped on the outskirts and well, walked Adam, in. Like, well, Adam like, Baum is going to like, it doesn't matter if you're on the outskirts of town yeah, or not. He but. himself was like also on, on death, you know, 
on his way out from radiation poisoning. So, you know, maybe he would have stopped to, to get a drink or whatever and, and died and left the bomb out in the middle of the desert and it never would have gone. Like, I, like who knows what my, chain of events led to Trash Can Man moving that bomb into the people and the hand of God setting it off. Like, yeah, like my, perhaps that chain of events and that sequence of, event, sequence of events would not have happened in that particular way. Butterfly effect style had the stand, the stand, not, you know, the proverbial stand mm-hmm. that had actually happened. Yeah. I, who knows? My, my reading is, um, that it is not good over evil. Good times over evil. It's that evil destroys itself. Um, is my take because I really don't think it matters that they went. And so I feel like we follow a group of ultimately inconsequential people, um, in, in the story, like the, the quote unquote good guys are, inconsequential to the mm-hmm. outcome of the story. I mean, they're not inconsequential to the, because of the, it's their story that's interesting. And, yeah. but I feel like, and they personally grow and change, and- but I, I feel like everything would have happened exactly the same. Um, what's interesting is it was only on this readings, um, that I was, that I, that I had a different take on trash can, man. I don't see him as, I, I, I see him as he, he, he doesn't know this, but he's sort of God's secret agent. Um, what do you think about that? Because no, I didn't see him that way. I guess he's, I, 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 I see just him. see him as one who's trying to, he's trying to please his leader. Like he's, to me, he's the loyal dog who's bit somebody. I, and I, now I see he's him. trying to repent and, and I think bring his, bring his owner, the shiny tennis ball. That's that's what I take his motivations as. But I think what he doesn't realize in my reading of it is that he's actually being, uh, used by God. It's um, possible, yeah. And that's that was my take, is that he's actually... Like, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's a good guy, because his motivation... Well, if, then you could say, from that perspective, if he's being used by God, then evil's not taking out evil. God is. Well, true. If he's a pawn of God, then it's God who took out evil, not not evil. That doesn't work. Well, Any yeah, that's true. I still... But I, I don't think it's good taking out evil, but I guess you're right. But I do think my my reading was very different this time. When I I see Trash Can Man as as not a as not a bad guy, um, or or like he's, it's sort of that. It's, I I took it as he's he's serving Flag, or he thinks he's serving Flag, but he's actually not. Is he serving God when he's mm-hmm. like blowing up cities? Yes, I think he is because and I think setting towns on fire. I think and... all of that in in my reading. I want to hear your thought about because. I think Trash Can Man is actually one, the most important character in this story outside of um, probably Flag himself. Well, without him, you don't have the end. That now, he isn't the most interesting character to read about. Um, probably Stu is, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say, or actually Harold. I actually think Harold was probably my favorite to read about. Yeah, I agree. But I think Harold, I think so many of our characters that we read are actually inconsequential to the stand. I think Harold, Nadine, like, what, like none of that like actually matters in the end. I think the only thing that like, I don't think anybody's actions affect the, and you could say that this is a flaw of a, like a climax shouldn't, this shouldn't be the case in a climax. I, but I don't think anybody's actions actually matter. Um, See, I, I think they do because they challenge flag as a leader. Like flag, flag is flag, flag is not an infallible carrier. He has flaws and he needs to be challenged. And they, the presence of them causes Flag concern, or he wouldn't even bother, you know, trying to talk mm-hmm. to Nadine. He wouldn't bother trying to, to mm-hmm. reach Harold. Like, I think the fact that they exist serves as a an underlying, you know, 
fear that Flag has that he could be overthrown. They they they're the the string in in Flag's sweater that if you pull it just right, it could unravel everything. Well, and he true. knows that. I guess ultimately, and it was he was undone. Like he was, yeah. But not by them, though. That's the interesting thing. It was. By- it depends on how much you believe in the butterfly effect. I don't know. I mean, Abigail, Miss Abigail, and and her belief in God, like they could have mm-hmm. all been, you know, if you think about time travel and branches and how, you know, if destiny isn't really is if destiny exists and your fate is predetermined. Not that I believe any of this personally, but. You know, if if that's kind of what what the book is starting to say, there might only be one pathway that actually leads to that ending, and all of those other things might have to happen to set up the dominoes to have the right people there to have Trash Can Man actually go and get the bomb to have you know like there, See, there's a certain set of scenarios that might have to happen. That's the interesting thing is I I guess in my reading when I think about it like nobody had interactions with Trash Can Man. It wasn't like. Trash Can Man had a negative interaction with one of the quote-unquote good characters early in the book that set him somewhere, or like, chain reaction. I feel like the, no. so the butterfly effect that you're talking about, in my reading... It's indirect, I guess. I, in, I guess in my reading, the only thing that matters in the book, the the only thing that, like, matters in the outcome of the climax, because of course, I, it's still a riveting read, and reading about, like, their committee meeting, which I saw, on, like, there's a lot of, like, um people... Um, there's a lot of criticism, and even Stephen King has, has criticized himself just how boring maybe the the Boulder Free stuff is. I actually was never <laughs> yeah. bored. I actually really enjoyed that stuff. But in terms, I, I thought it was it was slow. But I, I thought all of it was ultimately inconsequential personally, and in that Trash Can Man would have gone out there because he sort of had a radar sense for. I think I and and here's where I never had but this realization until now. I, I, it's I, I a think, story about people and about society, even even if it's not consequential to the ending it's still a story about people oh yeah and yeah. how people behave mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. and um it's and i completely agree with you that's why it's that's why like i'm saying like what did the good guys actually accomplish in the story i'm not sure i mean they set up their own society which is still going um mm-hmm. at even at, after the end but they didn't actually triumph over over flag in 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 my reading but in, in their mind they did though because flag didn't end up killing them flag was gone that's true. In their yeah. mind, they they triumphed, and and the ones who are surviving, they don't know what actually happened. They have no clue. Yeah, so, even Stu doesn't. So Stu and Tom, nobody the thing, knows about it. Is even if it was, even if God knew that they would blow themselves up in the end, sending a couple of you know sacrifices as you call them could be enough to give the remain the people who remain behind the hope to continue to survive. Yeah, I you know, I could, it, it could I definitely be, see it could that be reading symbolic for the people who remain. But and what's interesting can is in you. this is in this world the supernatural definitely exists. I mean, God and the devil all exist in this world, and it's it's interesting because um, Trash Can Man has a quote like he has like a sense, like a way to like sense these things, yeah. like a, a, a sense. sixth sense to like um, for sensing weaponry. for <laughs> for munitions and yeah. technology sort of sniff it out, but destructive technology. Like I don't yeah. think in this world Trash Can Man would be able to you know, uses trash can radar to sense out, um, like, no, and I, don't, uh, I didn't get the sense that it even existed until after the apocalypse with Captain Trips and, and having met flag. Like they didn't, they talked about his, his life prior to all of this mm-hmm. and how he got his name, trash can man and the fires he used to set and that sort of thing. And they didn't give any, give any hint to this supernatural ability. Then I think it came afterwards. 
I you know just good, just like Lloyd had said that he felt smarter since meeting that's a good that's flag a, and and Lloyd had had felt like he could do things and had the energy that he never had prior to I think there's some some of that was given to them by flag I think there's yeah I hadn't actually thought about that about trash can man and um like flag always said that he had high hopes for him and that he had plans for him and and I think that was you know maybe what he was alluding to. What's interesting is you could have a reading on this book because because I I think it you can have a reading where it is it's sort of analogous, or you could have a reading. I don't know if you, one could have a reading where it's sort of like um, Sodom and Gomorrah or Noah's Ark, where mm-hmm. you're getting rid of the you're purging like God is getting rid of and purging the bad in the world and mm-hmm. leaving only the good. Um, yeah. but it's, it's, I just, although defi- I would argue that not everybody who was in the bad really belonged there. Definitely. When I was in middle school, I didn't get any of this. Like it was just of a straightforward not. story and it's just, um, it's interesting now and it's all sort of like, well, what does it matter? Like the story is a story. It's just interesting. Like when you think about it, though, like it's, it's interesting to even be, to even be able to have this debate. Like what did the good guys even accomplish? Like what did the stand actually accomplish for a book called the stand? It's not even obvious what the stand accomplished. Yeah. I, I think the stand had to do more with the people left behind than the people who stood. So the last thing before we start talking about the, some of the adaptations, not some, the only ones that exist currently, um, is I wanted to just say, so I've read now, I've read the unabridged, um, the, the, the uncut version. And my plan was actually to read the uncut again, but I'm kind of just burned out on the stand. We've had a lot of it. So I, and I've read it two times before, so I think I'm good for a while on it. Although we'll see, but, um, but what I came away was I was surprised that how good I think the um, the original you know quote unquote ab- mm-hmm. abridged version the 400 is. page shorter version it's it's excellent like I was not reading this thinking not thinking that things were cut out now I come out without knowing that like okay these sections were cut out like yeah. and I don't I, yeah we talked about how your brain might have been filling in things that were missing as although I don't along. have an encyclopedic knowledge of the differences between the book mm-hmm. um especially because it's been years since i read the unabridged and i um but and i know there's certain things like you don't there is no character called the kid in the right. in the in the original book and the kids in a chapter in this in in the uncut version he's not there for long um and and how they meet Dana Jurgens and a few other characters is, is different. But in there's, I the mean, uncut version. I mean, four hundred pages is a lot. Is a lot. But I don't know if somebody were to say like which version should I read. I I mean, I wasn't reading and thinking, man, this is like missing some stuff or like this is making some yeah. leaps. Like he did, I think he did a masterful job. It's of a cutting slow, it out. It's a slow meandering book. There's a lot, and meandering is maybe not the best choice of words because that that makes it seem like it's not going towards a point and then it's just, but it, it takes its sweet old time and it just takes more time in the longer version i mean there's there's a little bit richer depth like i don't but, know but which... it's not i don't think that it changed the arc of any of the main characters well, he cut out side characters is, is really what he did well but he cuts out a lot of I can't remember all the details, but which is partially why I wanted to read reread the full one so I could really have a yeah. a, a, a really good comparison. There probably are websites that so, like compare. So here's here's an example of something that was cut out in in um 
Stu's group of people as they're traveling through mm-hmm. with with Franny and Harold as they're on their way. They meet up with a couple and while they're they're traveling, the the man of the couple gets um, appendicitis. He gets really, really sick. Appendicitis will kill you if you don't have antibiotics and if you don't take care of your appendix. If it bursts, you go septic, you die. That's essentially what happened. And there's there's a whole, you know, several pages dedicated to how they met this couple and how they were traveling. And then the guy gets sick and um, Stu ultimately tries to perform surgery. Like they, they find surgical tools and they get a, a book on how to do it. And um, the guy ends up dying in the middle of the surgery while Stu's and Stu has no clue that the guy's even died and like it's a whole thing and and then they have this whole conversation about here they are five adults all of whom have degrees or are in college because I think Franny was still in college at the time or was going away to college and yet none of them could do anything medical and they're like what what use is a sociology degree and a psychology degree and a paleontology degree or whatever it was they're like none of this is worth anything so that was an interesting takeaway. It was it was a great conversation, not in your version. Yeah, I don't, and that's a good example. And I would, if somebody were to ask me which version should I read, I don't know. I'd probably tell them the shorter version. It's a harder version to find, though. Like you can't. Yeah. It, that wouldn't be the easy version to find. You might find it at library. And that's probably. It's crazy to say that. Like that is not the takeaway that I would have thought when I started to read that book. I was gonna. Yeah. I would thought, oh, for sure, the longer version's got to be the better version. But having read, I mean. There's snippets here and there. I don't, th- I mean, it's not here. I mean, it's like every other page. Well, yeah. Like, like, like I was <laughs> I mean, telling you about, there's a mother Abigail chapter that is 40 pages longer in mine. Yeah. And it, it now, but it's, it's her, it's her backstory. Now it's her let's childhood. Say, let's it's, say in 10 years, you want to reread the book, which, what, what do you think you would, what do you think you'd read? Probably the bridged. Cause we have it and I know the major plot points. So I don't feel well, like you might've forgotten be, them in 10 well, years, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't, I know enough to know that I'm not missing any of the major points. If I read the shorter version. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think it's tighter. It's sort of, you know, we were just watching, uh, the right stuff and we we're saying it's three hours night, and 12 minutes. Well, the length doesn't bother me. Like, um, they often say it's a long movie. Like the, uh, there's the, you know, people have said that, uh, two and a half hour movie is usually too long and a three hour movie is not long enough. Um, <laughs> And, but you, as you were saying, you could, but you there's could, probably 30 minutes of content that could have been cut but, out of the movie and been okay. Um, everything I, I would have loved to have more stuff added with the actual astronauts and the right stuff. Yeah. Um, but there was a, there's a whole section about, um, Chuck Yeager in that movie. And I was reading actually on Wikipedia about how the director really wanted, he fought to keep that stuff in. And there was um, drafts that didn't have it in and, and he thought it was um, critical to the story. And, and I definitely don't think it is. I agree. And I, and I sort of think that way with the stand now, I guess if you wanted a richer, if you wanted to spend more time with these characters, you could uh, read the uncut version. And that's pretty much exclusively what people are going to read now, yeah. unless you take the time to go to eBay. Um, but that's why I said. Or you're was, lucky enough that your local library has it. I mean, it's. I died. I've had it before. Have you ever seen that before? I mean, I haven't looked. Well, I've always, I don't know, I always, um, I, mean, I wouldn't say always, but I, we don't even go to bookstores as much as we used to or, or anything, but I used to, whenever I went to a Walden Books or wherever, where yeah. I, wherever I went with books, I would just go browse the Stephen King section. I never once saw the unabridged version anywhere or at a library. I would often go at the Brighton Library where, where we live here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, whenever I'm at a library, I just happen to, you know, I'll go and look at the Stephen King section. And yeah. I've never in my life seen the, uh, no, of course I haven't been, you know, I haven't All been to many libraries. All it takes is one person to have donated it to the library and they have you, have, onto have it. Have you ever seen it before? No, but I haven't looked either. 
Yeah, I I actually feel like it's a shame. I actually feel like they should put it out um, and make more money off of it. Uh, now it'd be it might be may, maybe be seen as a cash grab, but it'd probably be it'd be interesting. It'd be like the like the quote unquote retro version of the book or like the you right. know the uh, <laughs> the original version um, of of the book. So yeah, I I would I would recommend uh, I I would say that the uh, the original version is the better version. I think in my mind. The shorter one. Mm-hmm. So, um, the original version is like 800 pages, right? 823. Yeah, our library has it. Oh, okay. So, it's out there. But did they have the the uncut version? Um, I don't know. Probably they have the comic book. Yeah, they do. They have the uncut because they have the 1991 version, the 2008 version, the 2012 version. Yeah, it's out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's just unfortunate because you have to like you have to find a library. You have to find a, probably a version from either the 1978 or 19- 1980 printings yeah um, and you have to know it exists and look for it but and somebody yeah. can't go on amazon and just buy it there's actually seven of them in interlibrary loan within the the metro area but i guess if you've never read the stand you, yeah, probably, you don't know you probably wouldn't you'd, you'd be like unless you know the history of the book yeah you probably would think like why do i care about the 1991 version versus the 1978 version or versus... or like usually i feel like maybe it's not, maybe this is how i am but i feel like i'm i'm not uncommon in this way where like if you see a a director's cut mm-hmm. of a movie and, and you're like am i gonna watch the director's cut or the theatrical yeah. if you're, you're probably gonna go for the directors if you see well and that's the thing the way it's listed on the, on the library website at least it's not obvious that it's got fewer pages like it doesn't say abridged on it at all it like i clicked on oh, it and i saw the original page. version or anything no it just says the 1978 version and i clicked on it it says it says 832 pages oh wow then i click on the 1991 <laughs> and it's got more pages unless if, you if you were not uh, attuned to that you could read the abridged and not even know it yeah i mean you would you'd, you'd get an old book but yeah that's interesting that you um well it's interesting to know that our library has it so that so that um you know that clears up you know the ease of it, I guess it, it's, mm-hmm. it's easier to get at libraries, but, um, if you, if, if you don't know what you're getting, you're probably going to go for the longer version. You're going to, th- you're going to yeah. think that it's, um, it, 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 that it was, you know, inferior product or something with a uh, shorter book. Yeah. So I want to talk about the, uh, comic a- adaptation. So I read the comic adaptation. It started, Marvel comics put it out, started putting it out in 2008 and it wrapped up in uh, late, late 2011. So it took a, a little over three years mm-hmm. for this, for the, and for the comic to come out. It was coming out 30 issues. So they, and they adapted the, the, um, the uncut version of the book. Mm-hmm. And so 30 issues is pretty good for a pretty good a- 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 adaptation for a book. Yeah, that's long. And I read it as it was coming out. You weren't interested in reading we, we it. We figured it out that that's over 600 pages just of comic book. Yeah. You know, average of 22 pages a, a comic, 30 mm-hmm. comics. I mean, it's well over 600 pages. And so I read it when it was um, coming out. I was intrigued by it. And uh, you weren't because you hadn't read the book. And, right. And so we just read the And you had even said, like, because I think I had even asked you, like, should I read this? And you're like, no, <laughs> read the book. Is that what I said? Yeah. I might have a different tune now. Uh, I do too. I think the comic adaptation is great. I think it, it hits all the major plot points, the story beats. Yeah, I, I really would, like it. If you're a comic book fan, I, yeah, I would. If, if you've never read The Stand, I mean, the, the book is better. Uh, both versions of the book, I think, mm-hmm. are better. But the comic does a pretty good job. Yeah, if uh, you just want to know the major points, you don't fall in love with the characters the same way. It's very difficult to get good characterization for that big of a story in a comic book. You just can't take the time. 
and the panels to to get that part of the story. So, you know, you're not going to fall in love with with Nick Andros, I think. You're going to like him, but I don't think you're going to have the same connection as you would with the book. But if you're just curious, like, hey, what's this story about? You could read the comic and, and completely get it. Yeah, I I agree. And so I read I read it as it was coming out, so it took me, you know, over three and a half years. Yeah. So actually I said that I hadn't read the stand in however many years, but, but actually that's not true. I, I spent three years involved with the stand during two thousand eight to two thousand eleven, mm-hmm. um, while it was coming out. But I hadn't read it since then, so it's what, uh nine years since then since it ended. Uh, you know, twelve since, you know, I would have read issue one. Um, so we both re- reread it after we finished our respective books. Well, I read books. it for the first time. Oh, yeah. Well, well, yeah, we both read it after we finished our respective books. So what do you think? I, I brought down just a few issues in case we wanted to reference it for whatever reason. Um, I really liked it. I, I think they stayed true to the story. They, you know, sometimes if you're, you're getting an adaptation, there's some changes to the storyline or they might make make small change minor changes here and there they didn't they didn't really do that with the adaptation it it follows a storyline like to the t and i liked the art i liked you know the way that they drew many of the characters is kind of how i is very close to how i pictured them in my head i'd say even more so than the um tv adaptation i the tv is pretty close but i think the comic is closer to, to what i had in my head and I I liked it. I I do find the way that they draw the people with Captain Trips to be kind of gross. With, but that's how they you know they were all snotty and gross, and their glands were swollen, and their necks turned black, and that's that's how they were described in the book. So I don't think it's far off, but it's also a comic book, and sometimes you can be just a little more gross in a comic anyway. But yeah, it was it was written by uh, Roberto Aguirre. Sakasi. I'm not familiar with this with this writer at all. Mike Perkins does art. I have heard of I'm mm-hmm. I've heard of Mike Perkins. I don't know. I can't list off anything, rattle off anything on the top of my head that I, that he's done. He's uh. But how would you pronounce that the writer's name? Um, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. <laughs> um, but they they did a good job. I agree with you that it was um the art is really well done and that it could be grotesque. I I think it I think it works though. Um, it does. The art is actually really, really good. I, I it's very think, detailed. I think Mike Perkins um, has a, his faces can be kind of weird, mm-hmm. but I think he he is a really detailed um, style, yeah. and I think he really makes. And he traveled to New York, and he traveled to Boulder City, and he took referential pictures of the downtown of Boulder and the houses that he thought each of the people would have lived in, and like he was very, very. Um, detailed and trying to be accurate since this is portrayed in real cities in America. And I appreciated that too, because you could tell that, that that attention to detail was there. And one thing you and I were talking about um, recently was the same art team or this, the same writer and artist staying on a project. And Yeah, because they said that they were working on this, even though it took three and a half years to come out. It took them five years to put it all together. Yes. So that's a long time to be consistently working on the same project. And and I, I think it's really important. There's there's this um, there's this people who there's there's comic book um, readers who think that you should be on time. Like should should a comic book come out on time or should it maintain the same creative team and. Mm-hmm. On time, but with sacrifices. And there's possibly. there's a lot of people who will say, well, it should have both. They're comic book for pro- professionals. I disagree. And the older I get, 
And the more I appreciate reading things in collected form, mm-hmm. and I often, we've, we've talked about it before, where I will, even on things we buy, single issues, let them build for a while. Now this, I actually read month to month. Um, it would have taken forever. You know, I would have waited three years <laughs> for it to come out. But I reading it, it's so much of a better experience when you can read something when it was years later mm-hmm. and it's consistent with the, uh, the art it's, it's annoying. I don't know if you do this, but like when you're reading something that's um, like DC's final crisis, for instance, written yeah. by Grant Morrison started off with art by a uh, really good artist, JG Jones, but he just couldn't keep up with, it was a seven issue series. Yeah. 2008. He couldn't keep up with the art um, duties. And so around issue four, it changed. And so you read you like now years later, I read final crisis and uh, you know, the four issues, first four issues look a certain way. Then, then, then all of a sudden they're gone in the next three. And yeah, it's, it's sort of jarring. It, I do. I find it to be jarring as well. I, I like consistency within a story and comics tend to have stories that, that go six, six, ten issues, something like that. And you know, we call it an arc. And then after that arc's done, if you make a change, okay. But I, I like consistency within a single story where it's like, this is a, a collective thought. I want to read it from start to finish. I, I do like consistency there. And for the most part, the comics that I read don't have much inconsistency. And it, every now and then, Marvel will put out like like an annual that comes out or like a mega issue if it's like a big, let's say something hit its 300th issue or something. A lot of times they do an oversized issue that's maybe 60 pages or something. And when they do that, they tend to bring in guest artists who will do chunks of it, you know, maybe 12 pages a piece or, you know, maybe even five pages a piece and they have multiple guest artists. I don't like that. Even though there could be some really cool art and it's it's cool to see different takes of the same characters, it's tough to read, I think. I completely agree with you. Um, and so they like it's just awesome that now, you know, nine years after this finished, sit down and read it and you know, before it took three years to read. Now I read it, I think, in, you know, um, a week. Like yeah, I, I, I think I read I, it in about three days. Yeah, you read it faster than I did. And I read it, I think, in about seven days reading all 30 mm-hmm. issues. And it just, it flows so well. Um, I, I want to give a particular shout out to the cover artist, uh, Lee um, Lee uh, Bermejo. He does a lot of work with, um, with Brian Azzarello. Actually, mm-hmm. that's where I'm familiar with him with... Um, a lot of DC stuff that he's done, some Joker stuff, but um, he's the he does the covers for about two thirds of the issues. I think he leaves around issue eighteen, and I didn't bring any of the issues down here to show, but there is a noticeable, and they even and they reference in like the in in the back when they're talking. Um, mm-hmm. um, at, it was at the end of one of the series. The thirty issues are broken up into five issue arcs, and at the end of one of those five, usually after each five, they would like reflect on the the arc. Yeah. And I, I think it was like after, so it must have been after issue 15, I, I guess, because that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, after issue 15, they, you know, they wished Lee a farewell and he did a good job. And I took note of that. And then I was like paying attention. The rest of the covers are not as good. Like I'm looking at the cover of number one. That is an awesome cover. That, and, and that, that cover rocks. That really well depicts how I saw Flag in my head. Honestly. Yeah, it's actually disappointing um, one of the things that one of my criticisms of, of the comic is I don't think that he draws Randall Flagg with the menace that I had in my head. He's he he's just drawn, um, and I don't have an issue. Um, he's not really in issue one, or mm-hmm. I, I only brought down a couple of the first um, issues from the first arc. But I feel like 
if if Randall Flag was drawn like that for the whole series, like he has a menace to him on the cover of That's issue one. Why he's one. called the Man with No Face? Like his but, his face should always be in shadow and just. But but he changes his face too. I mean, yeah. he he can look the way he wants he wants you to look, or maybe he can make you perceive him to look the way he wants you to be wants to be perceived. And you know, I think Nadine originally saw him this way until later, and and you know, Dana Jurgens when she goes when he calls her in to. to talk to her after she's been found out as one of the the um whatchamacallit the spies like mm-hmm. she was like oh he doesn't look anything like i expected like he <laughs> he can kind of change the way he looks as well but it, i think deep down yes he's i think his actual appearance is menacing but he yeah. can he can make you think that he's not menacing so yeah I, I agree, and that's why, like, I was a little disappointed with. Um, I didn't note that when I with, when I read it. So and and, and it's more the la- the second half of the book. You start you see Randall Flag a lot more. Like they keep mm-hmm. him in shadows and stuff in the first few arcs of the, just like in the book, he he doesn't play a huge role. Um, but I feel like it just wasn't as menacing as I pictured in my head. Even 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 when he's calm in the Dana Jurgen scene, you're talking about. I feel like he had a, like a a cool menace to him, which I think. Uh, Cover. I just keep coming back to this cover. I think this cover is awesome. The cover um, of issue issue one. one. Yeah. Um, but the the comic the the series is great, and it actually reminded me of some of the what, sort of why I don't actually feel the need, even though I said I was going to re- read, you know, just do a mm-hmm. after reading the book to read the the uncut version because like the comic covers a lot of it. Like yeah. the the appendix scene that you mentioned, I had forgotten all about that. The um, uh, the the way that Dana Jurgens is introduced, um, it's a shootout, and and it's, it's, uh, and that one I think is kind of important because Harold Lauder shoots a gun for the first time and he's terrible at it, and then Stu comes kind of comes to the rescue. And but see, it wasn't it wasn't in the other version, and it was I don't feel like it was missed. Yeah. Um. So I I guess I would we could debate well you know how important it is, but that it was a cool scene. Like it it's it was kind of um cool seeing the things that were were cut out. Um come back into the comic come back into the comic or also just to remind me because i just read the abridged version right like there's there's civil unrest that happens at a college like i knew there was a whole i knew there was an entire issue devoted to um trash can man and the kid um so i knew that i i I remembered that and i I was like oh i'm gonna read about the kid but i had forgotten things about the way that dana jurgens was introduced the way that um Mm -hmm. the, the appendix scene um, b- b- various other things. Um, cause, cause the adaptation is the, yeah. is the uncut version. Um, anything else to say about the, the comic itself? I think. No, I would say read it. Yeah. I think, um, it, it does a great, it, 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 it does a great job. Um, you can find the, I was looking cause I'm like the individual issues are cool, but I'm like, what, what, what collected editions could we put in the bookshelf that would be cool? There is an out of print version that would probably be pretty cool that, um, collects it but it's out of print you'd have to we yeah. we'd have to check it out on, on ebay and we have all the individual issues and what's nice about our, our new house um on like our old house is our comics are pretty easily accessible now yeah. <laughs> so it's not that big a deal to get them out but i don't think i have much more about the the comic either um no i think we covered everything the colors are to. the colors are really well done i think the entire and the colorist stayed on like the only major creative um, change Just is the covers, is the covers. and that you know you can you know argue the merits of like well how big, how much of a cover does, does that really matter? But it was noticeable. Um, Not to me. Well, it 
after the podcast, I'll like show you like here's some of the you might not have noticed because a lot of times that's what I mean. You crack I didn't open, notice on my end, I guess. You crack open, I, and I was paying more attention because you mentioned that after the first few arcs, you stopped um, reading all the back matter because um, there is a lot sometimes, and I didn't. I would even... skim because I I like seeing sketches, original sketches, and I like I like seeing that. So I I did still skim it. <laughs> what's but funny is when it was all interviews and all text, I I didn't read that, it. What's funny? I was the exact opposite. That's funny. I didn't care after the first few times of seeing. Well, here's the pencil art, and here's here's how it looks inked. I'm like, okay, I don't care. But when it was, when, I like to see that. Stuff. I like to hear because it's it's you know it's commentary. Like normally with comics, like you know I like watching movie commentaries. And I like hearing creators talk about their work. And um, so it, it was the interviews that I didn't skip. Um, all the rest of this. So um, I often would um, just skim. The, in, in, in the way that you said you might skim interviews, I would skim the uh, all the, the inked pages and things. And I'm like, I just read I just, I just read the issue. And, you know, it has the final art. I, it's, sometimes it's interesting to see the original line art. Um and I mean, you I do, like to see it because there's a whole process. Well, well you do get an appreciation and, and of the, the comic book process, like, like you're saying, like the original inks, or even the original pencils, and then leading to the inks. The image often changes when they add shadow and um, when they take out shadow. Like it's yeah, it is. Well, you you it, for somebody who might you know for comic book fans, it's interesting to like you know you do get an appreciation of the craft. Like every stage adds like. Pencil art is often more. It's it could be very detailed, but it's often less detailed than you think it is. Though a lot the um, the inker and the colorist really add a lot to it. Um, but that was the stuff I would skip. So I don't have anything else about the. Um, what, what what am I looking at? You pass me the your tablet. Oh, just because there was an advertisement for Elephant Man, and it looked like something new, and you're a oh, big Elephant Man fan. Yes, I, I, I knew that. It's an Amazon original season three, yeah. um, but I'm going to wait. It's seven issues, I believe. I'm going to wait. Okay. <laughs> um, so I just checked on college, Comixology. That's that's kind of why this came up, because I was curious to see if there's... How is it collected on Comixology? Is it's it, not. Not at all? No. I was curious to see if it was on here, and it, it is well, not. I was curious. I wasn't I wasn't even there's thinking about it. There's a lot of really good stuff on here. I haven't been on Comixology in a while, but... I wasn't even thinking about here. it until you mentioned it, because, you know, if it was on there, would they collect it by the trade? Like, one long... Like, how, how, how would they have collected it? Individual issues, but it's... Bummer's not even on there at, as um, at all. And I've never seen the collected edition like at a bookstore or at a comic book store. Yeah. So I feel like this... Yeah, I don't, I, it might be like a, a licensing thing. I feel like this series might have been lost in time. Like, it, it's not like, you know, well, I mean, Barnes & Noble and things like that, like they're getting less and less. Like, um, Yeah. But I, I've never seen... Have, have you ever seen that? Yeah, I don't know. It deserves nope. to be... Um, out there i mean and and uh so who knows how many people actually are, are exposed to it but you can you can track it down um sounds like it's not as easy to get digitally as i would have thought no when you when you do a search for the stand we we get the um we stand on guard comic oh that comes out that was about like um u.s versus canada but what about while i while i um transition us to talk about the tv miniseries what about on marvel Un- unlimited it's not there either i checked there oh, first oh so yeah, this is so it's kind of in limbo. The there's no print like the, all the printings are out of print. All the print, um, the, you know, uh, it's out of print. It's all um, the various trades are out of print. So not as easy as uh, to track down. So I'm actually glad I bought it as it was coming out. And 
it's probably the most the 30 these 30 marvel comics are the most comics Mar- marvel comics i've ever bought <laughs> i've uh you're the marvel fan i am um i would argue marvel, marvel ultimate with spider-man have you bought more of that well i bought like four trades that was it um so. and then and although i was just thinking the other day i was like oh you know what i could go for a rereading is marvel's um 1602 written by neil gaiman i was like i should i could go for a reread of that yeah i i actually we don't even i've read we don't that even a couple own of it. times we don't even own that 1602 uh, yeah the um we used to have the, it. we borrowed a copy of it the medieval reimagining of the marvel universe by mm-hmm. by neil gaiman um so let's talk about the TV miniseries. So, oh, actually, before we before we move on from the comic, the one thing sixteen oh two is on Marvel Ultimate, by the way, if you wanted to read it digitally, I would probably want to. Things that I like to comics, comics and books are things I still like physical um, trades. I, I've now I've read my fair share of comics on uh, my tablet, uh, tons and tons and tons, but mostly due to uh, just pi- just because I wasn't paying for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for, for now that we have the means and there's things that I want to reread, I like to support them and I like to hold them physically. So I would probably want to be, uh, buy 1602. Um, one thing is that before we leave the comic, I always had, and I think it's, um, the mini series in my head in terms of, um, character visualizations. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the mini series or the um, TV mini series, I guess it's kind of a combination of, of topics. The mini series sort of lines up with the way that I picture the characters in my head when I read the story. Mm-hmm. Except for, um, and, and, and the comic um, also um, aligns very well with how I, I, th- I think they all did a good job of like yeah. um, uh, the characters visually in terms of how I picture them in my head, except for Lloyd. I think in the comic, and yeah. I guess maybe the book describes him as maybe having more flowing hair, but in yeah. the in the TV miniseries, the book describes him as having hair. He's for sure. portrayed by uh, Miguel Ferrier. Fer- Fer- I'm not. Sh- he's you. People know him from um, RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's the bad one of the bad guys but in he's RoboCop. He's in... yeah. He, he he's that actor has always had. He's he's like in episode one of ER. I think he's yeah. dying from cancer. Um, um, lung cancer, I think, um, a smoker in episode one of ER. Um, that actor's always just had like, it's, he's never like bald ball is always like, but shaved down. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's stubbly. like stubble. And that's how I pictured Lloyd. And I can't remember if when he's introduced in the book, because I know that in, uh, um, the comic, they really wanted to stick as close to stick, like yes. to King's a- adaptation. Like they even talked about the writer talks about just how worn out his copy of the stand was. Oh, a funny he story. Carried it with him everywhere. He said he, yeah, for he, years. Yeah. Did you read that? Um, the anecdote where he said that he was devastated when he left it somewhere and then, um, it got mailed back to him. Yeah, I did. I actually read that part. Uh, that was wild that like, so like, first of all, that like a grown man, like I would never write my, like you think of like little kids doing that, like writing your name like, and stuff. If ever found, like if yeah. it's that important to you, I guess it's... you don't think of like a grown man doing that, but I guess like good thing. Number one, good thing he did. And I then have that got... actually written in my work notebooks, well, in case, but that's, but that's work, in case though. I leave it at like in a conference room. So yeah. Somebody can give it back to me. But, um, so I just, every, in, in the comic, I could, it just, um, I could never get over like the depiction of Lloyd was like, um, you know, long, well, they weren't long, but like full locks of yeah, <laughs> glorious he, hair. He, he, he wasn't was... the only one that was different for me, at least in the TV series. Um, I did not picture Molly Ringwald 
esque of a character. For, oh, I guess for I didn't. Franny. Yeah, like, so Franny was different, and and Flag was different. I mean, Flag well, Flag was kind of like in the comic. He had long, stringy hair, and he basically had a mullet in in the TV series. I like Flag didn't look the way I I pictured. So him. I guess yeah. So movie, I want to leave the comics, but I just wanted to say that. Um, the only thing is Lloyd in the comics does not line up with how I pictured him in my head. And the way I pictured him in my head is the way that he's depicted in the Oh, yeah, because you'd already seen the miniseries. And I, I hadn't, so I, he was more true to form So moving me. moving on to the miniseries, 1994, um, I remember we were still living in the in the UP the, mm-hmm. um, in, in Michigan. And we had to have left like soon after because 94 would have been fourth grade for us, right? And I... Uh, second half of fourth grade. We would have started at fall of 93. That cannot be the case. Like, um, we were up north and I started, um, 94, I think we started fourth grade in the fall of 94. And so it must've been, um, the stand must've aired in like the spring of 94 or maybe it's 93. Like what? Hold on. We had the DVD right here. Um, it says 94. But I remember we were living in the UP, and I started the school year down here in the lower peninsula of Michigan. So it must have aired in the spring of 94. It had to have, um, or else we wouldn't have been living there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the spring of, the fall of 94 had to have been when fourth grade started, Heidi. Okay. Uh, you, you Right? Am I wrong? Like, the fall of 94 would have been... Well, if we were... I always go backwards, because I know... If you start from when we graduated and work your way back, this is really super interesting listening for for all of our listeners out there. <laughs> but so I I know we started um, high school in 1999 because we graduated in 2003. So that so was nine, freshman year is 99, start of 99, well, nine, nine eighth minus grade five. is start of 98, 94. Yeah, so it would have been fall of 94. We started fourth grade. Okay. So yeah. So yeah. That and all of that winds up. I remember watching it, and so either way, it came out. Who cares where we were when I, or what age I was? I guess Li- listeners are like, "What it, the hell?" It it makes an but impression it, on you. I guess. But it puts That's... a it puts, it puts a time and place on on things. I remember I, I remember my dad watching it, um, and being freaked out at the at Randall Flag because there's a there's really some really bad CGI now or like some really bad visual effects. <laughs> yeah. Now Flag turning into a sort of a demon face, um, um. And so then that was actually, I think that was Stephen King's, um, one of his first TV ever TV adaptations, the golden years by they Stephen did Salem's King lot was in before then. I've never actually seen it, but I feel like they did Salem's lot. And then obviously there's, um, Kubrick's shining. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see Salem's lot. It's, it's not coming up in my search, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I know Salem's lot like was a, was a, uh, early one. Uh, early miniseries, but it might have come um, after that. But I don't think you. I think you were you weren't even aware of it. I think you were um, no, didn't wasn't. know anything about it. I did but not. I was said. I said, well, we're doing this stand. Yeah, Salem's Lot came out in seventy nine. Um, and then K- Carrie was also. But those are movies, though. I don't know when those are all. Well, Salem's Lot, I think, was a miniseries. But most of what we're mentioning for adaptations were movies. I. Th- um, yeah, Salem's Lot was TV series in seventy nine. Um, but so I said, we're doing this, the stand retrospective. We're going to, you know, we're doing mm-hmm. the, we're, we're doing the books, multiple versions of the books. We're doing the comic book. We got to watch the, the TV miniseries and you're, and you didn't yep. even know about it. No, so I didn't. So I, uh, purchased the Blu-ray from Amazon and, um, you can get a, a nice, uh, Blu-ray of it. Um, 
it's got a commentary on it. I was actually we haven't watched it or listened to it, but I was just thinking like um, just yesterday I was I looked into because it's been sitting on our shelf because I haven't actually put it away um, since since we watched it. And I was like, who's on the commentary? And it's Stephen King oh. and some of the actors. So I actually think I might that's pretty pop it on while if, I do some if, work. If you uh, bring away any interesting tidbits, please share because I I have no intention of listening to it. He did the um, the. Um, teleplay of it so he actually wrote the like he did his own adaptation yeah. so all the changes were you know are, are king are king yeah. sanctioned um, and they had to make some changes to I think number one cut it down to get it to fit in four episodes and 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 because of that the way that certain characters are introduced to each other and to the story changes a bit so what but, do you think what are your overall impressions of the miniseries overall I enjoyed it um, I think the miniseries suffers from the same problem that the book does in that the Boulder Zone section is slow. I think that's mostly episode three, and I could go without it almost completely, with with the exception of the end, which feeds into episode four. And even then, like other other than the stuff with Nadine Cross and Harold Lauder, I could just get rid of it, like skip watching episode three completely. It's boring. <laughs> um, but but I enjoyed watching it. I think it's it's fun to see an adaptation of what you read played out and see how those scenes kind of come together. And it really does just stick to the important stuff. Just to, I think because of time, it, it can mm-hmm. enrich this story the way the comic does with some of the other things that happen. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. I, I think most of the characters were portrayed in the, in the way that I pictured them with the exception of cross. I, I didn't really get the whole like CGI devil's head thing happening. Like that wasn't never in my. What do you mean cross? Uh, or not cross the the flag stuff where he's he's like his head changes into this like devil head, um in in the TV series. I didn't get that when I read the book. Like I didn't I didn't picture any of that, and so like that I found jarring. I just I didn't like it. I thought that I, I think the miniseries is decent. Part part one is definitely the best when part part one is covers um the entire captain trips um outbreak and everything by the end of episode one and start of episode two pretty much pretty much everything's over and you're on the rest of the journey of the book um and i think that's the most exciting and thrilling the the rest of the adaptation, like I wouldn't skip a part or like skip chapter three. Like I wouldn't no, watch I, this and go one, two, four. I wouldn't either, but three just suffers from being the content of the book, and that's a slow part of the book. So when we watched it, we had an opportunity to my brother watched the first episode with us, and he had never read the book. He had not been ex- he had not experienced the stand. He didn't really have much information or knowledge of it. And so he watched episode one with us and then he followed up and watched episode two on his own. I don't know if he's watched three or four yet, but him and I have briefly talked about it and he's just like, what the F? Like, this is so weird. Like, because the movie has to... Oh, did he finish? I don't know if he did, but the movie has to kind of not jump around, but you don't get all the connective tissue. It's it's a slimmed down version of the book. So he's just like, who is this Randall Flagg? He's crazy. And like, like it it's trippy for somebody who doesn't know that what's happening next. So I, I feel like the, the movie had we not read the book would probably not stand up as well. I don't think it stands up all that well. Anyway. I don't, <laughs> I think it's fair. I, th- I think it's pretty bad. I would watch it the same way that I watch. No, um, actually I like Superman four better than this, but it's, it's always my go-to about like watching something bad. Yeah. Um, I don't think the Stan miniseries is very good. Um, 
I think actually, I think the, part one is pretty good actually. The act, um, but it's not because the acting's terrible. I think it just suffers from like uh, having to try to cram I think it Nadine, in. I think the actress who plays Nadine Cross is pretty bad. Um, I do want to praise. I only um, know her from Pretty Woman. I don't know her from anything. I've never actually seen Pretty Woman all the way through. I've seen snippets here or there. We may have to change. That. I remember you had it on early on when we were um, together. At the very first apartment you were in, uh, um, I, I remember you had it. She was a very, very, very minor side character. Not even. In I've the seen it. I've and I don't. I don't, probably didn't even see scenes with her. Yeah, I have not seen Pretty Woman all the way through. So yeah. I've never seen her from anything other than this. Um, I didn't care for the actor who played Harold Lauder very much. I didn't. I didn't like him much. I've never watched it, but uh, he was the lead character on Parker Lewis Must Lose or. Uh, yeah, it was like a, a teenage show. He was he was it was a pretty, it was a fairly popular show, I guess, um, in the late '80s. I think it was like a con- contemporary of like Dookie Hauser. Oh, okay. He was just like a um, this Parker Lewis can't lose is is and he played the the titular <laughs> character Parker Lewis. Um, I've never seen I've never actually seen that. T- or, you know, probably did when I was a kid. I don't yeah. I don't remember it. Do you remember a show, TV show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose? No, I mean you're saying the name sounds vaguely familiar, but I. I don't remember it now. Um, so he was the main actor on that, and he was. I, I I I liked his character. I liked his portrayal, but it wasn't what I pictured at all from the from the book. Mm-hmm. He wasn't overweight at all. Like, and that's part of the interesting aspects. Not that like an over the the overweight aspect of Harold Lauder was actually like a really interesting character piece because throughout the book he starts off overweight and then he he grows through changes mentally and physically mm-hmm. and manifested in various ways um and i think that those physical transfer the physical and mental transformations are both important and you don't get the physical really i was yeah. reading online that they actually tried to put um padding in his butt to make i him noticed look, yeah i didn't notice that i did there were times where i like his pants just look huge but but, <laughs> but they were trying to make waist, him look bigger but his waist wasn't like i i definitely noticed the funny stuff going on in his pants <laughs> well you you notice funny stuff going on in men's pants all you're always like look at that bulge <laughs> so true to form yeah that's but, but I, I did notice and think like what I, I was like, did they put a fat suit on him? Like, what is going on? Because, yeah, like, when, when a person gains weight, they usually gain it all over. And so, you're, you know, your chest and your arms and your face are going to be a little bigger, too. But they weren't proportional. So it, it was just weird. But then um, what did you think of the combining of um, Rita Blakemore and Nadine Cross in terms of their characters? Well, it confused me at first. Because I was like, oh, he's going to meet Rita. And then I was like, oh, that's not Rita. That's Nadine. And I understand it for, for time's sake why why they did it. But he could have met Nadine just any other way. It didn't have to be in the same manner that he met Rita Blakemore. I feel like that was just trying to do fan service since they cut Rita out. I think it actually works really well. That's I will praise the... And that happens, I think, in episode two. So yeah. I'll praise that because... In the book, the book's long enough. You have time to do that. Like the movie would not have, like we would have met Rita for, um, like five minutes. Like all the time in New York and then the tunnel, and then that character's gone very shortly after that. Yeah. And so I, I think it makes a lot of sense to combine those two characters. Well, and I, I, I think it works really well. I think they needed it because it, it's part of Underwood's journey. Just with him like going in the tunnel and then getting angry, like getting angry and deserting the woman and, and then shooting and then 
you know, then trying to take care of the woman. Like it's and a miniseries is is only so long. Like 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 the adaptation was it was two hours over four nights, but with commercials and stuff, um, mm-hmm. the final running time is closer to six hours. Yeah. Like what what we watched on the on the Blu-ray, you know, mm-hmm. commercials cut out is about six hours. You only have so much time to get to know characters, and you don't want to lose your audience because it's dragging on for too many nights or if it's too long. Like, well, you're, you're I think they would have only TV given schedule. them. They would have only given them four episodes. So the alternative would have been to not meet Rita until you know, like most of the way, or not not meet Nadine until not, later, not meet Nadine until like episode three, right? And that probably wouldn't have been enough time. It'd be to, less impactful. To um, so that's one of the things I will praise. One of the changes I'll praise. Um, what do you think about Gary Sinise as Stu? He portrayed Stu as I expected, like the the kind of all American football player, kind of just general all around nice guy. I, I think I think he was a good choice now, for Stu. I agree. I I think he plays Stu really well. Um, now we all know him from as L- Lieutenant Dan, and we've seen him in lots mm-hmm. of things. But in '94, he was uh, pretty much an unknown. Nobody, you, people didn't really know who this who this actor was, which is kind of a surprise because of the other well-known names that are in this. With, with, um, like you said, Mar- Molly Ringwald's in there, and the guy who played I, Harold was a name. Like he was a name at that point. Well, well, well. We and have your favorite character from the book. Uh, Rob Lowe as Rob Nick. Lowe, what, yeah. what did you and, think and of the Rob guy Lowe who played Nick? Tom Cullen? Like he he had a, a sitcom career at that point too. So like like they brought in some yeah. some I don't want to say A level. You know maybe they were you know high B level well, people. Rob, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think probably mostly B, some C, but Rob Lowe was probably A. That was probably um, yeah. I don't know where he was, where his career was at that point. If he was already on the, I think he had like a downswing. Like he but, had some sex tapes and stuff that came out and. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I I think he was in a downturn in his career, but he was still a big name. Mm-hmm. But so, what, what did you think of Rob Lowe as your favorite character? He I he looked the part to me, and he played it well. Like he's it's. I think it's very difficult to play a character who can't speak. I know, and yeah. he's deaf, but he did all the acting with his eyes. And um, he was, I think he was he was actually quite compelling for me. I think the story, if I'm getting it right, was that he was offered or he was up for something for Larry, but he requested he was familiar with the stand and oh. he wanted the part of Nick. It's a challenge. I think he fit the bill, like the his his size, his his physicality. He he looks visually like um the way that I would picture Nick. I I, th- I think um Me too. he he works really well. Um Except he had some some weird pants in that. They had some like weird like <laughs> yeah, the cargo, wardrobe was so, like, weird. Some like bad pants for some big baggy cargo. I think they were trying to show for... like because he was kind of a vagabond, right? Like he just traveled and I, he wasn't super materialistic. Like he just lived in a room with his one little bookshelf. And so, what about Larry? I've never seen that the actor who plays Larry in anything else. I don't know. I'm not sure. His no, name, me but... either. But I mean. I, I think I he first, fits the look for me. Yeah, when, when he, I first he, saw Larry on screen, I was like, "Oh, that's not what I thought about him." And then I was like, "Well, yeah, I guess it is kind of." I guess <laughs> in my in in my reading of it, Larry was always blonde, but I could. Oh, just, really? <laughs> yeah, but it was still kind of like in my in my reading of it, Larry was blonde with like longer, slicked back kind of Zach Morris hair. Oh wow, that's that is. In the- but, I can't even I picture him like that. That's wow. That's interesting. But then I was like, I might have just misread something. Like I, I'm sure they described his hair color, and I might have missed it. <laughs> I don't know. But well, yeah, it's, he it's, he had longer longer um 
kind of greasy, oily blonde, like darker blonde hair in in my head. One of the things I'll note is that throughout the book, like uh, Larry Underwood is a um, uh, uh, musician, and he has a song "Baby Can You Dig Your Man," and <laughs> yeah. I I could never picture like. I could never kind of get the tune in my head when I was reading the book of what I thought the song sounded like. And then you actually hear it wasn't what I their yeah. interpretation on the TV show. Like, no, that's it not was it horrible. In my head. <laughs> but I actually don't picture like I can't hear I, I can't come up with it with my own yeah. tune. But whatever it is, I don't think that's a good song. <laughs> I, I imagine it's very solely, very, very R and B style because his d- because his mother was like, You sound like a black man singing. So I, I imagine his voice yeah, is a little true. deeper of a voice and it she, was probably she more did, on the hip hop side. She did say that. I kinda took it as like um So I, I thought it was like rhythm and blues style. You're, song. you're you're right about that. I think I took it wrong. The same way that you took Larry as like blonde hair. I think I was taking it more in in my mind's ear, I guess you could say the I thought it was kind of like a a folksy kind of a song, maybe like a acoustic, um, a, a acoustic uh, hooting the blowfish sounding. Like if I don't know, oh, no, that's, I didn't take it that way. That's what I I don't know why is that because Darius Rucker's black? Like no, I didn't picture him as black, or I did. I didn't picture Larry as black. Oh, I know, no, I didn't either. I, he was he was pictured him as a white guy but his mother said he sounds like a black man when he sings that song i always i just wrote off whatever she said as oh. like a um yeah i just took that like as, maybe it's, it's an r&b a, style song i took it as song, like I, don't blues. I took it as just maybe a newer sounding sound mm-hmm. and she didn't like it and maybe she's slightly racist i don't <laughs> very that, that's, that's that's an interpretation like i didn't read it i actually <laughs> didn't take her thought probably incorrectly but i didn't take her comment i guess um to as reflective of like what his music actually sounded like. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, even then I'd have to still have to make some, some leaps and bounds to associate that comment with R and B. I mean, there's white people listening R and B and rhythm and blues stuff, you know, rhythm and blues stuff too. So it's still. So I thought the, um, the, the person who played, who portrayed flag, I actually like that. I like the portrayal of flag in this, um, that actor, I don't. I'm not, I don't know if I know him. Jamie Sheridan is his name. I don't know if I've like. I think the actor was fine, but it, he's not what I pictured in his looks. I didn't like the CGI head change stuff. Like, I I don't know. And I, I think and he, I think it's hard to portray evil. But I on I th- screen. I think he does a really good job of doing what you were saying. Like you know, the way he can be menacing. But also charming, yeah. And I think that that actor—he's got that he kind has, of sly he has, smile. He has or... a bad mullet, um, but I kind of picture that from the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, although not 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 really a mullet, kind of like how it's just just, uh, just longer, like longer um, kind of strangly, but, straggly hair. But I thought that actor actually like did a good job. He has a weird chin. He has like a he has like a um kind of like um. Oh, shoot what's his name uh like a jay leno chin? yeah like like he has like a jay leno-ish chin but i feel like he did a pretty good job of of portraying through his acting what i thought was um was re- reflective of how i pictured randall flags yeah, kind of that mannerisms. like sleazy used car salesman type look where well i didn't take him as a he's, used... he's smiling at you and you feel you know you feel like you're getting a good deal out of it but in the back of his head he's like i'm screwing you uh the sly, the sly I, I didn't side. think, I guess, I always think of used car salesmen in my, in my head. Like, when people use that description, maybe I'm, I always think it as, like, they're also kind of, like, bumbling and incompetent as well. I, I don't know. I, I Oh, yeah, I don't have that interpretation. I do. I don't know why I do, just because, like, they're always, like, portrayed as, like, 
sort of like idiots on TV. I don't, I don't know. Like, you and know, to be uh, fair, we we've bought used cars. Like, we I actually just got a new a, a new. Yeah, no, I'm not talking car about not used, like, car salesmen in real life. I'm talking about just the way that like yeah. I feel like they're portrayed in media is like. See, I I I have a different read on that. Like a, a different take on. So, but I understand the sentiment that you're yeah. trying to um, convey, and I agree. And so I, 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 th- I thought just like I'm your friend, but in the back of my head, I'm screwing you. Like I'm sle- I'm actually sleazy, but I'm trying to convince you that I'm a nice guy. Yeah, what profession would I like portray that? Uh, I don't know. Like it's stereotypical uh, either like way. A, so it's like a Gordon Gecko like style, like where they're they're very. I, I don't know why, but I don't feel like I I like think used car salesmen are portrayed as being all that competent. I, maybe I, it's just like a stereotype that I must have in my like I don't know where that comes from. Yeah. But like, they're always like mumbling. I feel like. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have that same impression, but that's fine. It's it's off topic. You know that like they have you have some very serious car salesmen in your like media. <laughs> um. What what else from the. The mini series. I I really honestly have probably no intention of watching it again. Like I've watched it, I'm fine with it. It is what it is, but it's it's not like I don't know. I I didn't find it super compelling. Where I feel like I would want to watch it again. Like it, I, I like I've seen one, it now. But. I would watch. And what's nice is that um, it's not the middle of the story. Like I could see like I like I I think part one is actually quite strong. Um, and, and you get, um, yeah, but it's one of four. So I guess if you're going to watch part one, but it's not the end of the story, you're then going to feel, I would have no compel, like feel no com- compellingness compulsion <laughs> to watch parts two, three or four. And then uh, I would feel weird having just watched. The I first was, one. I was super surprised at, uh, seeing, um, Ed Harris as one of the military generals yeah. in, in that, you know, and speaking of the right stuff, we just, uh, saw that and so i completely forgot and you have other people you have kathy bates in part one that's right she she briefly plays a uh radio host who's male in the book by the way yes uh kareem abdul jabbar is uh (laughs) that's right he's um, in part one and he's a doomsday um like i don't know predictor i guess i thought matt frewer was a great trash can man um i agree i only really know him from um uh honey we shrunk the kids mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the next door neighbor i grew up knowing that like you know i see that i've seen that movie a million I times i feel like i've seen him as a character actor and other things too I've, but... i feel like i've only seen him in three things honey i shrunk the kids um this as trash can man and he played um for years that was that that would have been it and then he played in 2009 he played um Moloch, the like um the uh villain in hmm. the old villain now he's aged but the old villain in the 2009 Zack Snyder Watchmen movie he um he plays uh Moloch who used to fight the Minutemen or yeah. you know whatever or uh and so I feel like that, I feel like those are the only thing I'm sure he's done he might just more have stuff. that that look to him for me I don't know I well, can't I can't place him in anything else he, he, so he probably has done I mean he's but. You know, I won't take away. He is, I, you know, if, if the only thing he was known for was the next door neighbor and back in Honey, We Shunk the Kids, uh, that's, that's good enough because that's a great part. <laughs> um, but he is, he almost fits exactly what I pictured Trash Can Man. Oh, actually, going back to the comic book, the way that they portrayed Trash Can Man is not at all like what I would have thought Trash Can Man, um, looks like. I think it wasn't quite what's portrayed in the miniseries either, but it was closer to mm-hmm. it. Like, he um 
he's sort of more eccentric. I feel like um, in his maybe in his um, he, he has a, his mannerisms and you know uh, my life for you and everything that he's saying. I, I feel like he does uh, the the, the portrayal in the miniseries was better than what I thought of him in the comics. We actually didn't talk about him in the comic. Or so, what do you think about in the miniseries and the comic? So I'll be honest, it's been long enough since I've read the comic that that part of it doesn't stand out to me. I didn't have thoughts one way or the other about if, like, it doesn't stand out to me as it being different. So I think it was probably pretty close in my head. Um, But I did, I did like the performance of him in, in the miniseries too. So... Yeah, like I feel like just his manner of dress and things are just just sort of he, he was just a little bit more like kind of like disheveled, I guess, in the miniseries. Um, yeah, and you're right. He he does look different than I pictured him in the comic. That I agree with you there. So, I think. But like like to me, this miniseries is not as good as um, other TV adaptations that that they've done for other things. What adaptations? Be- so just just I don't want to get in, into them, but what adaptations are? Um, would you think? Can you think of that it were good? I feel like I can't think of any um, well, TV I, ad, TV miniseries or, or you know, it's it's actually not an adaptation, but the Storm of the Century is oh, yeah. so good. But that's that, not actually an adaptation. It's Storm of the Century is so good that um, you and I have watched that numerous times, and I remember being not devastated is not the you know right word. It's just too strong of a word. But I remember being so disappointed when I um, watched the miniseries. And then wanted to go find the book in the library and found it wasn't a book. Yeah. It's just Stephen King did did put out the um, his script for the Storm of the Century, but it's just the script. Um, but he actually that's probably about it. I I liked Rose Red in, when it came out in two thousand two, but that's also um, I think that was just based on a short. So so the only other thing which we forgot to talk about when we were. Well, do you have anything else about the comic or the miniseries? I've covered it all. We talked about how cheesy the music was in the miniseries. <laughs> it was. It was really cheesy. Um. Oh, the comic book adaptation had a really cool cameo by Stephen King. Um, as he was in there for quite a while too. Like no, like it, no, the movie that was oh, the miniseries. That's the mini- yeah. He, the Stephen, comic book did Stephen too. King plays a role as um he picks up I think Nadine Cross as she's hitchhiking and yeah he's in the movie um a, um quite a bit. Um, well, not quite a bit, but in the last episode, more he's, more than you think. Like, I mean, you more s- more than just a cameo where he but just kind of appears in a shot. In the comic book, he's got a cool cameo in the issue that where um, the um, climax is taking. Well, the, the well, yeah, the climax is taking place with um, with Ralph and and Larry, mm-hmm. and he's the one who actually like who calls him out. Were, yeah, he's he's the one that started the catalyst of what you were talking about, like um, calling him out, and that was cool. Like, did you notice that was Stephen King? Yeah, I was actually like, I I asked you like after you read it, like, did you see the cameo? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and so that um, that was cool, and that scene was. Um, you might not have read this since you sk- skipped the interviews, but that scene, that entire scene um, at the uh, MG, M- I believe it's the, M- yeah. the MGM, MGM. Right? Yeah, that is. whole scene was like their pitch for the comic book series. Like um, they, they had to write like a five page or, or six page or whatever, like pitch and actually draw it up. And um, that was in here. And so that got sent to Stephen King and he approved them and whatnot, part of the approval process. That was one time when it was re- when it was really cool to like compare the final um, images to what to they the originally original. did. It's almost identical, but they 
had just, you know, I don't know if it was Mike Perkins, the artist, but they decided to change the look of Ralph. He looks completely different. Like the, the panel layout and the, the, like where they are in the panel and whatever is like exactly the same, but like they just decided that like the original pitch that like Ralph didn't, wasn't going to look, look like that. But mm-hmm. that actually was interesting. That could have been Stephen King's direction for all we know. It, it, it could have been. Um, Cause he might, as the author, he has a picture of what these people look like in his head. He might've given that direction. So one thing, I don't know if I've mentioned or, or you might not have, you might know it. it Anyways, but the um, I want to go back to the book real quick. The the coda of the book was cut out, or that wasn't there with um, flag at the end and the aborigines. Um, mm-hmm. That wasn't there at all. What did you like? Do you think that was necessary? Like like that? It's like the last. It's like a stinger, you know. Like he's he, it wanted to conf- If they didn't put that in, then you don't know if he died or not. You're making an assumption like, oh, yeah, he's dead. They wanted to make it clear he's not dead. I actually assumed he wasn't dead because I think it says that, like, he did his clothes, like, disappear and he disappears. I assumed that he wasn't dead. Like, that his spirit was broken up. Very, like, Voldemort style. But I'm not sure, like, what was your reading of that, though? Like, I wasn't, I'm always confused when I, like, the various times I've read this. And it's, and and, and they have it in the comic. I guess I, I read that he's, he has... And I, I, my interpretation was that this has happened before, not necessarily the atomic bomb, but that he has, he has lost his power before, and he's essentially starting from scratch again, and he has to rebuild his power. Oh, did you think that was in the? Was that a flashback, or was that in the future? You saying it happened like? That's in the future, in my mind. Oh yeah, that he's going to start building his power. But, but I, I took it as this has happened before, and he's he's going to happen before because he references having been alive since the dawn of time, and that like he used to remember things from way back, you know, hundreds of years ago, and then now he can only remember the last like twenty years. Like his memory starts to slip as as he gets closer to the end for him. But I took it as being cyclical, cyclical, where he. You know, he rises up and then something happens and he loses it. But this is just one of his stories. I feel just, like- just like if Flag was if Flag was around in Eye of the Dragon, that's medieval times. It probably took place in what sixteen hundreds. That's true. So and then Although he lost I think, his power and it I think he has like again. a. The weird thing about that is like I think that like all they go into all this. I think in the Dark Tower stuff. But I think there's like multiple universes and like that could be like one version of Flag. I I don't know. Yeah. I I took. Um, this is being like flags. He's never been defeated before. Uh, that's that was my reading. But the ending, I feel like it it works better without that. I mean, it's only a few pages, but I feel like the adaptation I works better. I think they just wanted to put the, the bullet point out there of like he's not gone. Because you could just think that his he disintegrated because it's the top, you know, like. But that, that also it. that dumb, like. getting and and I don't have any answers, or, but or I'm not even sure how I interpret it. But it, it muddies even like what we were talking about, like the thematic like. Um, elements of the book because it's not even good didn't even win in then and so like what is like what like what is king saying or you know i'm i'm, I'm not sure you like, can never truly like good one for the moment yeah you know like just just like in regular life wars end but there's I guess always a, another war there's it's a always happier another... it's a happier ending the um the original book I mean, I guess it's it's a difference between ending on like an ominous like is flag gonna like what's he gonna do like he's 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 re his he's rematerialized his body or whatever however he came back mm-hmm. and he's rematerialized and he's like it, and he's like on this like native island um, and is he gonna like what's he going to do versus the the original book um, ends happier um, Stu and Franny are heading back to Maine 
And that's pretty much, and they have like a deep, sort of a semi-deep conversation about the nature of society and they've left and it's, is it better to be on their own? And they'll probably have to go back so their kids can at least, you know, have some people to, um, to, to potentially marry or to help because they're, they have to worry about repopulating the earth, but it's still a little bit more of an upbeat and happier. Would you really worry about repopulating the earth? I do. I wouldn't. I I would just be like, I'm going to live my life and if I want kids, I'm going to have kids, but but That's I, what Stu, I wouldn't be worried about like, man, we need to have because because if there were seven billion people on the planet and 0.1 percent survived, that's still lots of people. Well, I guess I'm not sure either, they, but they, they were guesstimating that two million people still existed in the United well, I States. Guess I'm not sure if I would either, but that's what Stu thinks. Stu's like, we're going to Stu tells Franny, we're going to have to go back so our kids can, you know, meet this other, you know, have a chance to to. Well, uh, I don't think it's necessarily just repopulate, but so they can go to school so they can. They can socialize with other children their age. I think well, it's I think beyond only... like they, when you're living alone. Like I said, you're as as a city and as a group, you can accomplish greater things than you can on your own. Yeah. Um, like if he specifically said repopulate the earth, I I, t- I would take it as tongue in cheek. Yeah. He 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 does say that they need to go um, in time. They'll have to go back if only so their children can meet meet, meet others and court and marry and make more children. And so I'm just taking Stu at his at, at his word, and I think Stu is the type of person that would worry about re- repopulating. I, I I could see Franny not caring about that. Yeah, I I didn't inter. I thought it was just an interesting way of saying like to marry and have kids. I didn't see it as like worrying about making people for the purposes of making people. It is an interesting choice of words to to word it that way, but I yeah, didn't, so that's why I think, I didn't interpret it as like he's him being worried about repopulating the earth. Yeah, I I did, and so it's um it's inter- and I think it's it's interesting, and that's the interesting thing about you know the fascinating so thing. So I books. wonder if you would have interpreted it that way if it said court and marry and have children of their own versus make more children. Like I I wouldn't that it's great it's point, the diction fantastic of it. point because I would have I would have taken that as um the 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 wording difference is all the difference because i would have interpreted the way that you just said as enriching their own lives and the way that king decided to actually word it i interpret as um helping the world and because so, it was make more children yeah that implies that the world needs yeah. more children Even, and i yeah. don't i don't know if he feels that way or not specifically but. that word more children uh because it's like well, well because he's having two children and so his children will make more children i mean it's more well, why children. not just say and have children, then, or you know, so their children can court and 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 have children. Uh, I well, well, either way, it's fascinating, and that's a great point about how just wording, um, the different wording could potentially make one reader myself and and you. And it's been interesting to hear, you know, how we both interpreted things. Um, and um, this 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 book is even though I've criticized it in terms of you know what is the good guys, what are the characters we follow, what. At, at, at the end of the day, what did, what did they accomplish? But it's the journey. Like Stephen King said that he wanted to set out and make like a Lord of the Rings style book. Like he's um, yeah said that exact thing. And I think he, I, I, I don't think he actually got there, but I, I think he got close in his Stephen King sort of way. I agree. What genre? So as one of my final things, what genre do you put this book as? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's post-apocalyptic. Um, it's not really a thriller. It's not really horror. It's it's prose, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's prose. It's words <laughs> on a page. <laughs> I, I don't know what I would put it in. It's it's hard to 
I, I think the first section with Captain Trips is is more on the thriller side. Oh yeah, that's almost like pure. I, I that's is. almost horror. But then the second half where you're following characters, I I, I think it's just meandering, fiction, meandering me, fiction story, meandering on the road. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but just it, classic, just prose. So one of these days we'll have to do a, a rank. Char- it's a it's a a character piece, I guess. One of these days we'll have to do a ranking or just discuss. You know, maybe ten minutes on each book we of uh, Stephen King book or something. Just like yeah, I told you, we like could you do said, another Stephen King episode. <laughs> we 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 could, although it'd be just like discussing you know each individual book. But that's all I got. I think I'm you know I you know as I say in Comic Geek Speak, I think I've shot my bolt on on uh, <laughs> on on. Um, Me too. The you, you could have watched part one in the time it took us to to record this episode. So you could have, you could have, or read. You know, you know, you could have got through. Maybe what do you think in two hours? We've never put out a two-hour episode of anything. I know. <laughs> Wild. Although I knew, we had talked about, we knew this was going to be a long one because we were, we were going to cover the book well, and the- Well, we used to have these crappy folding chairs that we sat on. <laughs> and in those chairs, my limit was about an hour and 15 and I would start to get cranky. By an hour and a half, I was ready to be done. With these with these nice, cushier chairs, I, I can go longer, but I can tell you, my butt is tired. I'm- I'm, I'm I got spent. Some, I got some swamp, some swamp butt going on over here. But I mean, <laughs> the we leather knew, seats will do that. So, listeners, hopefully, you enjoyed. We knew this was going to be a long one because it would have been. It was. We didn't even start talking about the adaptations until I think about an hour and twenty in. Yeah. And so, um, it's definitely worth it. I put it up there. It's 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 a must read Stephen King. I feel like it's. But go for the abridged version if you can find it at yeah, your local library. The, the abridged, although I hate. To... And then read the comic, but don't read the comic if only. And oh, um, CBS All Access later this year, which I think they wrapped up production uh, before all the uh, coronavirus shut down. But CBS All Access, which we don't have, but I think we'll get it at least. Um, I wait. want it anyway for the Mr. Mercedes series. Oh. Uh, That's what it's on. But later this year, they're having an, another adaptation. Maybe, maybe we'll have a coda of our own and you know put out like a thirty-minute episode or something on the. When have we ever put out a thirty-minute episode? We even promised when we came back to podcasting that we were new and improved and shorter form, and this is the longest episode we've. Oh, ever I don't done. know why we said new You're and improved shorter. You're lying yourself if you Some think we don't, would do that. I don't, shorter doesn't necessarily mean. Lo- I just listened to a three and a half hour podcast too long about mass effect a video game i haven't even played <laughs> mass effect 2 is so good, uh th- this was specifically about uh mass effect 1 i don't know if they'll cover mass effect 2 but um mass effect 2 is arguably the best in the series but anyway so that's it all right everyone stay geeky